Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. I'm Arnie. It's our 30th anniversary of Empire episode. We're going to be playing a lot of memories from you guys about Empire Strikes Back. A warning, this episode could go a little bit long. And there may be spoilers about the Empire Strikes Back. I don't know how we're going to talk about this movie without giving away the story. I like that somebody wrote in our Facebook wall that it's the most often incorrectly quoted movie of our time. That was Carter. And Carter is absolutely right because I remember when when episode three came out, which also had its fifth anniversary. We did that last week. Yes. I was working for a major national wireless carrier, AT&T, and they were doing trivia for the employees about Star Wars. You could win the Star Wars singular AT&T stuff. And of course, I was all over it. I was winning stuff right and left. And I was also schooling them because they were wrong on so much of their trivia. And finally, the guy's like, look, I'll just give you whatever you want. Do you just want to write the questions? You really should take a Claritin before just avoid the AT&T sneezes. I worked you know, for the Death Star. But before we get to the Empire striking back, we have a little bit of collecting news first. I think the biggest news is about Celebrate Swan. It's Celebration. Celebrate Swan. That sounds really weird. Are you ready to wait out in line all night again, Marjorie? Why, no, I'm not. Because George Lucas is a coming. I'm not going to do that. We've seen him. What do you mean you're not going to do that this time? You didn't do that last time. Yeah, I did. I, wait a second. Hold on. I was recovering from pneumonia, which I ended up getting again after sitting outside in the rain and sleeping. It wasn't diagnosed pneumonia. You had a bad cold. Actually, I had bronchitis. All right, bronchitis. I was on antibiotics and decongestants, and you let me sleep in a hotel room with another man because I was so sick. Worse than you sleeping in the hotel with another man was me huddled in a loving embrace with another man for body heat. Yeah, that was kind of weird. They're going to go again. Did you know that? Are they? Yeah. Well, good. Now I'll have somebody to huddle with for body heat. And I'll have someone to watch TV with. But it's going to be August in Orlando. I don't think that I'm going to have to worry about it being oh, no. 30 degrees. Oh, no. Oh, no. You just wait. I I guarantee there's going to be some sort of freak snowstorm because that's what happened with the Lucas line. It was great weather. And then all of a sudden somebody flipped a switch and it shot down to like 35 degrees and tornadoes. It started out the day with tornadoes because I was sitting there in line on my smartphone. I'm like, wait a second. What county are we in? Yes. Well, that once in a lifetime George Lucas experience that I put my bodies through the wrath of God for can now be repeated at celebration. Not the wrath of God, but these experience of seeing. George Lucas on stage. He 
has more security than Obama. He really does, especially at these events. Now, when we saw him speak in Chicago, he didn't have that any security that I saw. I was able to they walk were, up to they him. They were that good. <laughs> you mean the person posing as his girlfriend was in fact she was a ninja. Security? She was a ninja. Well, I am looking forward to George Lucas's appearance at C5. I'm now officially excited for C5. Before, I knew it was going to be cool, but it was kind of this vague coolness. So are you going to ask him a question if they do a Q&A? Are you going to ask him what happens to that card? No, no. It's always like one of those Zen things. If you could ask him one question, what would it be? You know, what would you ask if you had one question to ask? Because I've heard some people interview him or get a chance to ask a question, and they're pretty freaking dumb. I know. If you got five minutes with Lucas, aren't you going to ask some intelligent questions? Only if you got a brain. That's true. So the guy at Celebration 3 who asked, where is the card that we all signed in 1987? Yeah, dude. Seriously, that's the question. Do you still have it? I'm going to ask him what color socks are because everyone wants to, right? I would Here, probably... Here's my thing, though. Let me let me say, because at first, you know, he did lots of interviews when these movies came out. You cannot escape George Lucas in the early 80s, late 70s, or from 2000 on actually from what 1997 on you couldn't escape George Lucas what could you ask him that hasn't been asked before I have a few but I'm not going to share them okay I do have some questions that if they have been asked and I'm sure everything's been asked it's like what are you going to ask Carrie Fisher do you have anything new to ask Carrie Fisher there's a reason we don't have a lot of actors on this show because yeah what are they going to say their answers at this point are so well rehearsed yeah and they've got you know the body language down for it and the little everything perfect down on their responses so it's I don't know well well, now, the big question was, why is Lucas coming? Is he going to announce the live action series that he announced at Celebration 3? <laughs> well, no, he's already announced it. Oh I my God, like, what if there's more movies coming? Well, he has teased us saying that the Star Wars saga could continue in films made by other people and written and directed by other people and he just, you know, profit. Yeah. But we'll see. George Lucas is going to be at C5. That's astounding news. It's a big get. I know some people are hoping for an autograph. Keep hoping. I think only a few volunteers from the... 501st who went on stage with him were able to get them at C3. He was whisked in and out of there through underground tunnels. Yeah, he was in and out like in like hours. And speaking of hard to see celebrities, Harrison Ford was at the Arclight Theater in LA last Friday celebrating Empire Strikes Back's 30th and the guy who got to interview him on stage wrote a great blog for the LA Times about interviewing Harrison and Harrison's love-hate relationship with Star Wars and things. Hey, it got him his start. You can't deny that. And neither does he. He agrees on that. He says that he's indebted to what it did for him, but he also said he hasn't watched Empire since it came out in 80. Oh. Although, you know, I kind of understand that. I'm not at all equating myself to Harrison Ford, but I really have a hard time listening to our podcasts. That's not why. <laughs> That's not why he hasn't watched. He watched it at the Arclight for the yeah. 30th anniversary. It's not like he's one of those actors like Tom Cruise. I can't see myself on the screen. Tom Cruise can't do that? I think it's Tom Cruise, I've heard, does not oh. watch himself. It's really I think, uncomfortable, though, sometimes. I think it's just he doesn't care for the Star Wars films all that much, despite the fact they started his career. Again, in this article, we've linked to it from our homepage at SWActionNews.com. It's the LA Times article. But he talks about how he prefers other characters he's played with more depth, like Indiana Jones or Jack Ryan versus Hansel. Not the guy from Hollywood Homicide? No. Oh. But what's funny is, in some collecting news, Acme Archives has a new solo print. And it, I'm not saying that somebody did it alone. It's called Solo. <laughs> and it's of Han in the space slug. And you can get it on canvas for 400 on paper for 150 but they're having an Empire Gives Back charity auction at charitybuzz.com. Again, we're 
thinking on the homepage. But in the news that came with this, it showed Harrison Ford signing this print. So you can get it signed by Harrison Ford. The picture was from behind. He was kind of bent over. And of course, Harrison Ford has that earring that I swear Callista Flockhart talked him into because it's a really bad idea. And he's got the gray hair. I really thought it was like Ralph McQuarrie or something. <laughs> oh, Arnie. I mean, it was from behind. I'm like, oh, is that the artist putting the final touches on the canvas? Oh, wait, that's Harrison Ford signing How old it. is he now? He's pretty old. He's as old as my dad, isn't he? He's in his mid to late 60s. And he admits he's old because, again, the LA Times article talks about how he thought when he was making Star Wars that Alec Guinness was just so old and so ancient and such an old man. Is he his age now? Older. <gasps> oh, ouch. And to make it worse, Harrison Ford was close to our age when A New Hope was filmed. So, hmm. Yeah, it kind of sucks when people you grew up with, you realize all of a sudden, Christ, you're old. I, I guess the double- It's even worse when you grow up and go, Christ, I'm old, though. Yeah, but, you know, finding out that certain members of heavy metal bands now have had double hip replacement kind of hits it to you. Sideshow is giving us a big tease by showing us a video of an in-production 1-6 scale Yoda figure. He looks kind of pissed, so I think it's episode 2 or episode 3 Yoda. Yeah, he was kind of angry there. I had a little bit of anger management issues. I gotta wonder what he'll cost. I would hope that he'd be cheaper, but he probably will Probably not. I would think, you know, he's about a third the size. Maybe he should be a third the price. That's how my rationale works. Hmm. That's not how it works, though. Eh, probably not. Same amount of work goes into making them. Some people have commented in the forums they're shocked how thin Yoda looks, but he wears these loose robes that really, you know... I always thought he was kind of stocky like a Yorkie. He's got a swimmer's bot. He does. Uh-huh. In some non-Empire Strikes Back related collecting news, Gentle Giant has announced two new pieces are now available for pre-order, one of which we've seen before at cons, the Tusken Raider riding the Bantha. Don't they know what this here is? I know. And the other's Figurin Dan. I actually think the Figurin Dan minibus looks really cool because he comes with a fizz. A frosty beverage? No, that's the name of his instrument, I believe, uh. is the fizz. Of course, do you know the type of music Figurin Dan plays? No, I do not. It's called jizz. Oh! I'm not kidding. Like jazz, only it's jizz. And you can thank the authors of Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina for jizz. I'm not even going to respond to that. I'm sorry. Figurin Dan doesn't play the fizz. He plays a clue horn. So what's the fizz then? He just made that up? I think I got the jizz and the fizz all confused. It happens. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. But both Figurin Dan and the Tuscan are up for pre-order. You can get them both at Brian's Toys. And Brian's Toys also has the Jedi Con Bounty Hunters 2-pack up for pre-order. They're getting more in stock. Last time they had some in stock. They sold out in under 24 hours. You can pre-order now. This is the Jedi Con 2-pack. He's only selling it for $30, which is less than you'd pay just about anywhere else getting it Plus with shipping, overseas yeah. shipping from the other continent there, Europe. Oh my god. Oh dear. I didn't do so good at the social study We're tanking here. This is why I navigate. And remember when checking out at Brian's Toys to make sure that Star Wars Action News sent you. And finally, one last bit of Empire Strikes Back related web news. And I believe John Stewart would classify this under the things that make you want to go, hmm. That was Arsenio Hall, not John Stewart. I thought John Stewart does it now on his Daily Show. Does he? Yeah. Arsenio did it in the 90s first. Yeah, John Stewart. Woo, woo, woo. What was that? That was how people cheered Arsenio and I was humping You lived a whole different air. life than I did, I think. Wow. You mean you weren't watching when Sir Mix-a-Lot and his inflatable rump performed on Arsenio? Why, no, I was not. Well, all right. The thing that made Arsenio go, hmm, is the soundboards 
at StarWars.com updated this week, and I think everybody clicked this link. I don't know, again, I said this on the show before, why StarWars.com's pimping the soundboard so hard. I don't know what they get out oh of it. Oh my god, soundboards? Okay, here's the thing. First of all, they're great for about five seconds. And then what you have to do is you have to find someone else's kids and show someone else's kids how to use them and how to get to them. Perhaps bookmark it, because you'll drive your parents crazy. I am not a big fan of soundboards, I'm sorry. They just have a one-time use. I mean, hey, I clicked on all of them. Alright, now what? Unless you're doing like the Judge Judy prank calls. (gasps) Those are awesome. Okay, the guy in YouTube that. But StarWars.com really promotes its soundboards. I I don't know. I guess they're really popular, though. I think it's like the number one hit maker for them. God knows I clicked, though, when I saw that they were doing a soundboard update for Lobot because I really thought it would be like an April Fool's joke and every button I push would be dead air. (laughs) Does he say things? All right. It's really annoying, and I apologize to the sound designer who did it, but like if you go to Lobot's page, there's like danger, danger. And here's what it sounds like. That's Lobot for danger, danger. Here's Lobot for awkward. And I'm not kidding. It's spelled with five A's. That sounds like the machine ate your tape. I don't remember Lobot making this sound. I remember Pac-Man making that sound or my local Chuck E. Cheese. I heard... But I don't remember Lobot doing that. This is the most annoying soundboard ever. Yes. Yeah. But again, the soundboard does have one saving grace. And that's because all of these sounds for Lobot have these weird titles, right? And I'm trying to figure out why they would name them Danger Danger and We're Cool. Well, over at StarWarsBlog.StarWars.com, there was an interview with Craig Drake, who was the one who designed all these sounds, and he was trying to go with a Star Wars feel. Well, it's got screenshots from Empire showing when Lobot would say each of these things. So... Okay, but that doesn't make it better. No, but it's kind of funny because, you know, he's walking down a hallway and it's a shot from the special edition and the phrase is, I don't remember a window being there. Or it's when Lando and Han are staring at each other and all the stormtroopers come out and Lando's in the background and that's the awkward. And it's funny because it's kind of like a where's Waldo for Lobot with these pictures because I do not remember Lobot standing behind Lando. In fact, I think they photoshopped Lobot in is what happened. Wow. Were people clamoring for the Lobot soundboard. But I think it's funny with the got your back man and all that. It was the pictures and the captions for Lobot are amusing. The sounds really annoying. Yeah, it really sounds like something's malfunctioning. I think that was the sound Kubert makes when he dies. Wow, it sounded like a computer farting in 1983. But in keeping with the Empire's 30th anniversary, Marjorie actually on the 30th anniversary made an Empire Strikes Back purchase. I did. I was at the Devil's Store, which is otherwise known as Hot Topic. I really thought the Devil's Store was Old Navy. They're both the Devil's Store, I'll be honest. And I was looking for some cool shirts. Unfortunately, it's one of the good places to get girl shirts because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we're kind of differently shaped than you guys. So we like shirts that fit better, that fit us. So they have band shirts and geek shirts and stuff. So I was in there and they had a really cool Empire Strikes Back blue and black baseball jersey. So I bought it. I don't mean like baseball jersey jerseys, like the baseball shirts with the three-quarter length sleeves, the sleeves 
are black. The body of the shirt's blue. Now, the guy told me it was a man's shirt. I am going to disagree, and I think it's a woman's shirt. Perhaps it's strong enough for a man, but... Made for a woman? Cut for a woman. Yeah. Because it kind of hugs in certain places that I think a guy would have to really... Not want to be hugged? Yeah. Well, it's kind of tapered at the bottom, too, to fit my waist, so you guys are pretty straight on down. You know what I mean? If you say so, yes. But it's a very cool shirt. You, They had a lot of Star Wars shirts there. There was a Boba Fett shirt, and there was the Stormtrooper shirt, and it was kind of like the designs that were on the iPods before. Remember, you had an iPod Nano yeah. case with those Stormtroopers on them? Mm-hmm. But you almost bought the Stormtrooper one until I showed you the vintage design. Yeah, until I found the Empire one, I was going to buy the Stormtrooper. So I wanted this one. It's very cool. I got lots of compliments on it today. And since we're talking about The Empire Strikes Back's 30th anniversary, we've been asking you guys for your memories of ESB. So we're going to go ahead and sit back and let you guys run the show for a little bit. Hey, Arnie and Marjorie. This is Jason from Spring Grove, uh, OBJ Kenobi on the forums. And I was just listening to the most recent episode of Star Wars Action News and uh, heard the request to call in with our Empire Strikes Back stories. Uh, That one actually... um, I do remember. I don't remember A New Hope so much, so this one I do actually have a memory of. Uh, my mom uh, had uh, arranged to make me sick for the day for school, and so I played hooky and, and uh, went to see it um, at a very small theater in Libertyville, Illinois, uh, with my mom that day. And I remember uh, uh, seeing Yoda for the first time and thinking, God, that thing looks so real. I, you know, I heard that it was you know, a puppet, and... Uh, when I went to see the movie, I thought, gosh, there's no way that looking thing looks so real. And then also, too, a funny story to, to before I saw the movie, I was uh, riding a, on a shopping trip with one of my cousins who had actually seen the movie. And uh, she was a little bit older than me and uh, was trying to describe the movie. And I kept asking her all these questions about what happens with Luke and what happens with Han Solo and Chewbacca. And, uh, and the, uh, as she proceeded to tell me that Luke gets his hand cut off, I know, spoiler alert, uh, but she then proceeds to uh, to get scolded by my aunt who's in the cars uh, to tell her not to tell me anything about the movie because it'll ruin it. But I didn't care because I just wanted to know what happened to everybody and what you know what's going on with, with the whole movie. But I just couldn't believe that Luke got his hand cut off. I'm like, gosh, what does that mean? So those are some of my memories from Empire Strikes Back. Obviously, it's uh, you know my favorite Star Wars movie in, in, the, in the six movies. And... Uh, Ironically enough, it is not my son's favorite. It's actually probably his least favorite. He likes a lot of the prequel movies, which he's uh, five years old. He likes the action. He says, Daddy, these boring. These ones are too boring. They talk too much. Uh, <laughs> there's not enough action in the in the original trilogy. So, uh, so anyway, that's my uh, that's my memory. I thought I'd share that with you. And I uh, love the show. Keep up the great work. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks for the call, Jason. It is one of the talky Star Wars movies, other than episode one. I remember when I was in my 20s, my parents went out of town, so I decided to have a party at their house. This party involved a bunch of guys watching Star Wars on the big screen TV. Man, crazy times, I know. By the time the pizza got ordered and the Mountain Dew got drank, we made it through a new hoe. Did anybody's pants come off? No, thank goodness. And then we got to Empire, we were ready to go straight through on to Jedi, and remember, there were no prequels at this point. And in Empire, we were all wide awake during the AT-AT battle, and then I started getting pissed as my friends fell asleep during the Yoda scenes and the Millennium Falcon scenes, so the adrenaline went away for them, and they stopped watching it. I'm like, guys, this is the best part, Yoda and the 
horse and the falcon, and they're all snoring. We never made it to Jedi. Aww. Is that why you get so mad at me when I fall asleep? I get mad at everybody when they fall asleep. Yeah, you're just downright rude. So mental note, guys, don't see movies with Arnie. Okay. Like, that was a big danger. But, yeah, I can understand how, from a kid's mindset, referring to my friends there, Empire could be considered one of the talky ones that they'll fall asleep during. It is one of the talky ones. There's a lot of talking going on in Empire. Then they'll wake back up for the Ewoks. Ewoks rule. But your memory kind of reminded me of, not my experience with Empire, which I'll get to, but my experience with Return of the Jedi, I didn't care about spoilers either. I just really had to know what happened. This is Brock with my Empire Strikes Back memory. When I think back about my childhood with Star Wars toys and the experience of Star Wars, it all comes back to the Empire Strikes Back. I was very little when Star Wars was released, and I had a few toys. I had a land speeder. I had X-Wing pilot Luke Skywalker. I remember I had a snaggletooth. But when the Empire Strikes Back was out, that was when I really started getting my own figure collection. And this was the Christmas that I remember getting Star Wars toys. My brother and I both got snow speeders. This was the Christmas, I think it was 81, maybe 82, where instead of wrapping each individual figure, Santa Claus <laughs> gave me a big supermarket brown paper bag full of Star Wars figures, had my name on it, didn't even bother wrapping it. It was great. Each of us got one of those, and each bag contained pretty much the same figures. Like my sister got a Princess Leia, where I got the Han Solo, but we each got a Rebel Trooper. We each got an AT-AT driver, that sort of thing. So we had all this army without even trying. I also remember getting on Christmas morning the micro collections and not knowing what these were. The mini rigs we got one year, each of us got one too. So it was really kind of cool to have all the mini rigs in the house. All of these memories, all of them revolve around The Empire Strikes Back. This is the movie we watched over and over again, not the original Star Wars. And so when Return of the Jedi came out, I was the only one left into Star Wars. But with Empire Strikes Back, it was just hardcore Star Wars, man. It was awesome. And that one Christmas also, that, that whatever Christmas it was, the big gift of Christmas that year was the AT-AT that all of us had to share. And man, we... <laughs> Man, did we get in trouble when we decided to make the Hoth base using talcum powder as snow on my parents' carpet. That was, uh, that was an experience. And let's not split hairs here, folks. I'm not the only person, I think, that The Empire Strikes Back has the most meaning for, regardless if you're a little kid playing with the toys or not, because... The Empire Strikes Back is the reason I'm a Star Wars fan. The original Star Wars movie is fun. It's great fun to watch. But The Empire Strikes Back... This is the movie that made Star Wars Star Wars. It made it the saga. It made something special. The character development in this movie is unlike any other. And as I was watching these movies over and over again, as I was getting older and older and older, this is the movie I can go back to and keep seeing new things. Remarkably so. And let me give you an example. I was in college. And no, I wasn't drinking or smoking anything when I, this happened. But I was, I was watching The Empire Strikes Back. And for some reason, I decided just to watch Chewbacca when he's in the background, when he's not the focus of the scene, but he's there, like in the Minoc hunt or even in the, in the back of Echo Base when Han Solo is walking through and you see Chewbacca in the background fixing the Falcon on the top. I advise all of you to do that. Watch the movie and just watch Chewbacca. The performance is nothing short of remarkable. 
And you have to credit the director. You have to credit the actor for that. That's just amazing work. The guy doesn't speak, but he conveys so much. And that's the kind of stuff you can see in this kind of quality of movie. And around this time, I realized exactly how good a job Mark Hamill did in this movie. He made me believe that Yoda was real. Irvin Kirshner said this on the DVD. When he said it, I was like, yes! The first time I saw The Empire Strikes Back in the theater was for the special edition. And some of you may have heard me tell the story that I was in a tuxedo for one of my viewings of that movie in the theater. And that movie deserves to wear a tuxedo too in the theater. It's that good of a movie. So my memory of Empire Strikes Back is the beginning of my memories of Star Wars. And man, oh man, I couldn't pick a better film. This is the movie that when you think of Star Wars, you think of. And I sure hope that a future Star Wars movie comes out and gives this one a run for its money. This is Brock. These are my Empire Strikes Back memories. Wow. Talcum powder all over trying to be hot. That's awesome. That is totally something I would have done. I used cotton ball. Yes, and there's that very yes, cheechy yes. picture of you and Billy Durbin. Or is it Ian? It was Billy Durbin. Okay. The ad at. Wasn't that every boy's dream Christmas gift in 1980? Oh, yeah, it was. I remember walking past the Toys Plus window display and just ruling at it and thinking I would never be able to own one because my allowance was $1 a week. Mm. And it was $50. And so that would have taken me like a year, 10 years of allowance to save up for. But fortunately, I did get one for Christmas, one that I still have to this very day. Is it that one? It is that one. That is my original one with the decals applied crookedly. <laughs> Gives a little character. It's missing a few pieces. Well, it used to be my figure storage before I had the Darth Vader carrying case because the Adat had the belly you could open from the side. I just shove all my figures in it. Got it. I hate little me. <laughs> the damage I inflicted on these figures, just shoving them in a box like that. Oh my God. That's why their paint is worn off. It's okay. Hello, this is Ryan from Salt Lake, and I'm calling in to give you my Empire Strikes Back memory. Uh, my memory of it's pretty unique, I think. Uh, I've never been much of a Star Wars fan up until about five years ago. Um, I always collected movies. Movie collecting was my thing, and I just figured I needed the, the Star Wars series. Uh, so I got him. My son um, started watching him, and uh, he kind of got into him and asked me questions here and there, and I kind of started watching it with him, and then I thought, one day I'm just going to watch one through six. So I took a Sunday, and that's what I did, watched one through six. And uh, when I got to Empire, it was really cool for me because when when Vader told, told Luke that he was his father, it was just a big, like, nostalgic moment for me, and uh, that's what I like about Star Wars, and that's how I can see, you know, all the this, all these fans that Star Wars has, and you know, I wish I would have been involved right from the beginning. Uh, I would have been just a crazy fan from the very beginning, and been a been a huge fan for five years now. I guess it's never too late. Uh, I really wish I would have got started uh, sooner, but I could thank my son for um, getting me into Star Wars. I just I wanted to collect the movies. He wanted to watch them, and finally got me into him and this is my seven-year-old now and uh that's that's my my empire movie thanks for listening 
That's very cool that you got to watch all of these with your son. And it's never too late to be a Star Wars fan. There are people on the forums who are just getting into it now. Some people have never seen the original trilogy, which I just find mind-blowing, but I guess it totally missed a generation behind us. And yet they love the prequels. They just hadn't gotten around to the originals. Yeah, but if you really like some movies, wouldn't you watch maybe the original one? Yeah, I would think. I don't know. It's never too late. Welcome. Just don't start reading the EU. There's way too much catching up to do Oh my gosh, I don't even know where you could start there. (laughs) Hello, Star Wars Action News. This is Larry, Jedi Larry B., with my Empire Strikes Back memory. Uh, This actually started when I first saw Star Wars in 1977. After seeing that Imperial cruiser seemingly fly overhead, I was hooked, and I couldn't wait for the next episode. So once I heard that the Empire Strikes Back was coming out, I made sure to pick up and read the movie novelization before the um, film came out. I probably should have waited. I remember not being able to put the book down as I was transported back to that galaxy far, far away. I was riveted to the uh, descriptions of Luke's battle with Vader on Bespin, from the carbon freeze chamber, through the hallways, and onto the catwalks. My most vivid memory occurred when I got to Vader's declaration of, I am your father. At that point, I screamed, hollered, or exclaimed something like, oh no. Before I could come to grips with what I had just learned, my mom opened my bedroom door and asked, What happened? Is something wrong? With a shocked look on my face, I could only utter, Darth Vader is Luke's father. To which my mom replied, Oh, well, it's time to come to dinner. I muttered about it all through dinner and then anxiously awaited the movie's release. Once I was seated for the film, I could barely contain myself and not let slip the surprise twist ahead for everyone else. As that famous moment approached, I kept thinking, wait for it, wait for it, here it comes, boom. In the end, I wasn't sorry I had read the movie's novelization before I saw it. I was awestruck by how it was all executed, and I still am to this day. Although A New Hope is still my favorite Star Wars movie, for purely nostalgic reasons, I think Empire is still the best. And that is my Empire Strikes Back memory. I appreciate the chance to share it with you guys. Thanks, and may the Force be with you. When you're little and you find out that Darth Vader is Luke's father, it is life-destroying. I cannot tell you. First of all, I was terrified of Darth Vader. But how pivotal it is when you have that realization that, oh my god, Luke's dad's Darth Vader. So I'm totally with you on that, Larry. All right, I must just be weak. Oh, we already know that. I first saw Empire when I was five years old. And I saw it in Chicago. And I don't know which theater. You might actually know which theater. I, I used to go to Chicago a lot for weekends. Sometimes even during the week because my father would go up there for conferences and my mother would go to have a tax deductible vacation and it was cheaper to take me than to get a sitter. And usually my mom would drag me along on some shopping trips until she could take my complaining no longer and the way to shut me up was put me in a movie theater. This is how I saw Clash of the Titans and this is how I saw at the very same theater I saw Clash of the Titans, Empire Strikes Back. And I remember it having giant movie posters. Like, these seemed so huge at the time. Like, large Larger than the ones I've got on my wall here. And 
and there were big stairs going up to it, pillars with it. I thought it might be attached to a mall. I'm not really sure. And maybe it's not even in business anymore. I mean, we are going back 30 years here. But on one of these fateful trips to Chicago, my mom's like, I'm taking you to see The Empire Strikes Back, so stop your whining. You like that movie? I'm like, what's The Empire Strikes Back? I didn't watch commercials. I was watching Sesame Street. PBS didn't have commercials. I still don't. I, I knew Star Wars because I played with the toys and they took me to see the movie before, but I had no memory. I didn't know that there was a sequel or anything. And she takes me and I was just mesmerized by the whole thing, right? And at the end, Luke's Vader's father and I just walked out and went, that was a really good movie. I want to see that again. But never once did I question, was Vader lying? Which was apparently a point of debate among fans for three years is, was Vader lying? I never knew of that. I never questioned it. I didn't either. It's he was just, evil. He must be telling the truth. Kind of, if you look at the old Star Wars films, it's the good guys who always tell things from a certain point of view. Mm-hmm. And the bad guys always tell pretty much the truth. Yeah, they're pretty honest. But I didn't question it at all. More importantly, I didn't think Darth Vader was a man in a suit. I thought he was a robot. And I didn't even question that a robot could impregnate a woman. Okay, my little mind as a child did not even factor any kind of sex into it whatsoever. Well, I didn't, me either. It's like, this is your mom, this is your dad. Yeah. Your mom's a robot? That's really cool. You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. It's. I mean, I watched Sesame Street. What is Oscar the Grouch? He's a grouch. This is the kind of mindset I had going on. Robots, grouches. Uh, you're right. I don't understand. Yeah. Grovers, you know, yeah. all these various things about. So, yeah, Darth Vader the robot, father to human child. Okay, I'm I'm down with it. But it, it wasn't life-changing. It wasn't anything other than like, oh, okay, now what? I mean, now, lo, these many years later, it's helped me to empathize with Luke, you know, having a oh, absentee boy. evil father. But back then, I just kind of like, rolled with it. Like, you did not it. know the pressure that Darth Vader was under to provide food and shelter for his family. <laughs> Hey, Arnie and Marjorie, Jason from Missouri here, calling you with my Empire Strikes Back memories. That's actually the one I have the least memories of, surprisingly. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we went to go see the special editions when they came out. I was excited to see Star Wars. I remember seeing Return of the Jedi because I loved the Ewoks when I was a youngster. And now Empire, it's, it's since become my favorite movie. But when it first came out, I wasn't a huge fan of it because it didn't have a big space battle at the end. You know, when I was like eight years old when they released Empire, I was looking for the action, lightsaber, and I loved the asteroid chase, the Battle of Hoth, the uh, the duel between Luke and Vader, but it didn't end with a big Death Star battle. And so when I was young, it wasn't my favorite. But now that I'm older, I can appreciate the story and the, uh, the depth that that movie has. It is now my favorite of the original trilogy. Maybe my second favorite behind is New Hope, simply because the New Hope is Star Wars. But yeah, that, that's my Empire Strikes Back memories. I know I saw it with my family. I know I loved it because I had a big ATAT toy for the longest time, or ad ad, or whatever we want to call it this week. But but yeah, this is a great movie. I'm going to sit down and rewatch it here when I do my marathon on the 25th. But, uh, but yeah, those are my Empire Strikes Back memories. Hope everyone else has wonderful memories too, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. That's kind of like you, Marjorie. You don't remember seeing it. I don't, but I re- remember being aware of it, and I remember watching it before we saw Return of the Jedi. My mom and dad were friends with a guy who owned a fancy team electronics store. Remember those? Mm-hmm. So we had VHS tapes and stuff that other people didn't have, But and I distinctly remember the sadness and finding out that Darth Vader's Luke's father, but I don't remember seeing the movie in theaters or anything like that. Yeah, while Return of the Jedi, as I've said on the show before, was the first movie I ever was so excited 
excited about in theaters. It was the first one I ever knew of an opening day for or anything. Empire just kind of happened mm-hmm. for me. It was just this trip. But I, I, I think we were too young. Yeah, I mean, I was five years old. What I do remember very much is, speaking of VHS, anticipating Empire on VHS because we had a neighbor who had HBO. That was Ooh, fancy. It was. We were in the first families of our neighborhood to have HBO. My parents would never let me have HBO using the phrase, you watch enough TV. But I got the neighbor to tape Star Wars for me on HBO. Piracy, I know. Everyone did that back then. We weren't worried about piracy. Also, they taped it and it had an extended making of Star Wars hosted by Mark Hamill that I've never been able to find since. So if anybody out there has this making of with Mark Hamill that takes place in the cantina and everything, please let me know. I would just die to see that again. But I watched it all the time on VHS. And I remember one time my mom's taking me to school and I was griping about going to school. I never liked school. And she told me that at the end of the day, she had Star Wars 2 on VHS that I'd get to watch when I got home school. Now you cannot imagine how excited I was. Empire Strikes Back. My mom called it Star Wars 2. <laughs> she doesn't know any better. Who cares? Now, I was in maybe second grade here. Jedi wasn't out yet. So the whole day, all I could think about was seeing Empire again because I hadn't seen it since theaters. Just wanted to see Empire again all day. Come home. My mom didn't have VHS. She's like, yeah, I never got over to their house to get it. I'll go tomorrow. <sighs> Next day. Just waiting, 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 waiting. Get home. Do you have the VHS tape? Like I hadn't bugged her enough about it by that <laughs> point because I knew it was coming. She gave me the VHS tape. It was unlabeled. I didn't care. Popped it in the VCR. Superman 2. <laughs> Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Nope, just Superman. Did they get confused? I go, Mom, where's Star Wars? I gave you the tape. That's Superman. It's all the same to me. I ended up watching Superman 2 a whole lot of times on VHS because I had it. Maybe that's why it's your favorite of the Superman. No, no, that's not why. It's because I've seen 1, 3, and 4 again. But yeah, that was my big Empire Strikes Back VHS revelation there. I have to admit that after Jedi, I kind of fell out of love with Star Wars. And in the late 80s, I think I rented them on VHS and copied them because I copied everything I watched in the late 80s. I had a pirated video library of like a thousand titles, none of which I ever watched again. And I eventually- Wait, that's kind of like your legal DVD library. Yeah, it is. But every movie I'd rent, it didn't matter if I liked it or not, I dubbed it. And I had all the Star Wars movies and I watched them once then. It wasn't until the 90s and the X-Wing video game and the Thrawn trilogy that I really got into- Star Wars on DVD and Laserdisc. And that. They were on our TV constantly. My mother was a huge fan. And I remember being in the late 80s and 90s when they started coming out on the VHS and all those different sets. Experience it again for the first time. Yeah, me and my brother kept buying each new one that came out. And I remember one we fought over, which one of us would get to take it. And my dad's like, uh, I'll just buy another. Yeah, they were cheap. Yeah. One of the big things that got me back into Star Wars was HBO because I was never allowed to have HBO as a kid. When I went off to college, me and my roommates all pooled our money and got like the package. And I didn't even know there was more than one HBO. And we had like eight HBOs, right? And I don't know why, but in 1992, Sunday was Star Wars Sunday on HBO. And Hmm. you had all of the movies playing all the time on one of the HBOs. You could watch Empire at the beginning or Empire at the end, depending on which HBO you were on. And it was heavily Empire and Jedi focused. So that was one of the things that got me way back in was it seemed like we had Star Wars Sundays in my dorm room because, well, it was HBO, and if somebody wasn't playing Sonic the Hedgehog, then we had Star Wars. Hey, Arnie and Marjorie. This is Jen. I'm calling in with my Empire Strikes Back memories. 
The first time I actually saw any of the Star Wars movies at all was the special edition re theatrical re-releases in 1997. One of those darn whippersnappers. I was just finishing my freshman year of high school and was just getting old enough to see movies without parental supervision. So I dragged my younger brother along and went to see all three films to see what all the fuss was about. Empire was where I really got into the Star Wars movies and ended up being far and away my favorite out of all the six films. It introduced a lot of my favorite characters. There's Lando, who somehow managed to be both threatening and charming at the same time. Yoda, who changed from a batty old guy to a wise and pretty intimidating master of the Force. And there's Boba Fett, who, while he didn't do a whole lot, had a really cool character design. The movie made the existing characters a lot more interesting to me, too. Luke stopped whining so much and seemed to be coming into his own as a Jedi and growing up. I loved also... So much, I loved Han and Leia's awkward shuffling towards their eventual romance. It was really sweet. My favorite thing, though, about the movie, period, is Vader. He gets really interesting in this movie. In A New Hope, to me, he felt kind of inhuman, kind of generically evil. I couldn't really identify with him. Empire, though, brings him into three dimensions. He had this dark, almost creepy relationship with the Emperor. For some reason, he wanted to turn Luke to the dark side instead of killing him, which is finally revealed why at the end when he reveals he's Luke's father. Fantastic. I loved it. A villain with depth. I was so excited because I'd not ever seen something like that before. Vader was one of my favorite Star Wars characters for a really long time afterwards because of that depth. And then there's the end of the movie. When the credits started rolling, I remember being shocked that it had ended so abruptly and that the villains had won. I sat gaping at the screen thinking, you can do that? Really? I was so surprised. It was a fantastic twist. It was something I had never seen before up till then. Then I started wondering about the poor people who had had to wait three years for Return of the Jedi's release originally, and who managed to do it without dying of curiosity. I barely made it the couple of weeks between releases. So those are my Empire Strikes Back memories. Happy anniversary to my favorite of all the Star Wars films. First, let me welcome Jen to the Swan staff. She's going to be handling Clone Wars over there with Dan and Jerry. Pop Forces Yo Network. Going to be doing droids this summer. Going to be fun. We're going to be in trouble again. But Yoda, she mentioned Yoda. I hated Yoda when I was little. I hate, and even now he's not my favorite character by any stretch. I hated Yoda. In fact, he was a really boring guy between all the fun stuff. Yoda freaked me the hell out. And I, he, he unsettled me. He really unsettled me as a child and it hit home in Return of the Jedi because Luke was calling him master and that bothered me I didn't understand tradition and respect and like the oriental martial arts kind of things. There are some pretty big themes for a child. I didn't get that and I just thought well Vader calls the Emperor master and Luke who's dressed in all black is calling Yoda master does that make Yoda the Emperor? Is Yoda evil? Is Yoda you know because Luke was the hero to me you know not Yoda. Luke was the one who's going to save the day. Luke is the guy. So the fact that he was making Luke like a slave bothered that that really did. I'm sorry. But You're it, funny. But of course, I've told this story on the show before, but for listeners who haven't heard, Yoda was my holy grail in 1980 because I loved his theme when I got the record album. I loved his voice. I didn't equate it with the Muppets, but that might have worked on a subconscious level for me. But man, I wanted my Yoda toy and he was on the back of the cards 
cards and I couldn't find my Yoda. Drove my parents nuts. And every year, it was kind of a tradition in November, we'd have a Christmas shopping trip up in Chicago. And on Black Friday, I forced my mother to brave the crowds of many a toy store looking for a Yoda. We finally found one with an orange snake and a cane that my mom vacuum cleaner later ate. Hi guys, this is uh, Jonathan Ranker Boy on the forums, and I'm calling to leave my Empire memory. And actually, my Empire memory is probably one of my favorite Star Wars memories. It was 1980, I was three years old, and I knew Empire was coming out, I was very excited about it, it was something that my dad and I shared. And my mother took me to, oh no, I wasn't three years old, never mind, that was when Star Wars came out. Uh, I was uh, it, I was six and a half. My mistake. Um, my mother brought me to see my dad at work, and on our way to way there, she told me that she had to stop and pick up some papers for my dad. So she stopped, and I was actually too busy playing with my first two Empire Strikes Back figures, uh, my Luke Bespin and my Hoth Han, to even notice where we were. So my mom left the car, got the papers, got back into the car. And then we drove to my dad's office. I spent some time with him. And then my mom suggested, why don't I go home with my dad? Uh, you know, go home with him, and she would take my little brother home. So I went down to the garage with my dad, and he goes, well, on the way home, I need to stop somewhere to see something. Um, why don't you come on in with me? So I did, you know, not really kind of paying attention. I must have been the dimmest uh, child in the world not to notice that we were outside a uh, really big movie theater. We walk in and we're welcomed to the premiere showing of The Empire Strikes Back. And of course I was completely aghast. My dad reveled in the fact that I was so excited that I couldn't stop jabbering when the movie came on. And then I remember sitting and watching the movie and just my jaw hanging open the entire time. Um, as uh, the, the night was not to end there, uh, my dad and I talked about the movie on the ride home, and, you know, he wanted to know all my favorite parts and what I thought was going to happen in the next one. And uh, I remember him asking me, did I really think that Darth Vader was Luke's father? And I said, no, I thought he was lying because dads are much nicer than that. He thought that was rather funny. So we get home, and he goes, I have something for you. And me going, well, what is it? And he goes into the other room and comes back with a box of the entire first wave of like, I think it was like 14 figures from the Empire Strikes Back and one of the ships. I think it was the cloud car. I think. Um, I was just completely giddy at that point. I mean, I had all these figures and they let me stay up late and play with them. And it is one of those memories that I have of my father and I just really bonding over Star Wars. He died a few years later when I was 10, and I, it's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about Star Wars now is because it was such a, a bonding experience between us. Uh, it, it was something that I, whenever I do anything or say anything with Star Wars, I, I think of him. Um, so that's my memory. I, it, Empire will always just hold a special place because of that night. And uh, actually, I'm on my way home right now, and I'm going to be, we have a, uh, a recurring tradition in my house with my children 
to have uh, a movie night where we all get in our pajamas, pop some popcorn, and watch a movie. And tonight, in honor of the 30-year anniversary, we're going to be watching Empire. Well, guys, it was great sharing my memory, and uh, many, uh, many more happy episodes. Take care. I think a lot of people have a similar emotional tie with Star Wars. Like I said, my mother was responsible for pretty much probably the geek I am right now. And it was on constantly in her house as well as Star Trek, how I ended up not a Trekkie. I will never understand because not only were the movies playing constantly in our house, but Channel 3, WCIA, every night after the news, they played two back-to-back episodes of Star Trek. I think you remember that, don't you? And it was old Star Trek. I remember seeing ads for it. I never watched it. It was on. My mother would stay up late just to watch. It. See, it can go one of two ways. It's, you know, sometimes you can bond with your parents over it or you can rebel. It just depends on if that interest is the same. My father tried desperately to get me into soccer and opera and I tried to get my father into Star Wars and Thundercats and <laughs> never the twain shall meet. Hey, everybody. It's Justin Cozy here. Wanted to call in and leave you all with my memories of Empire Strikes Back. I, uh, I was six years old when that movie came out, and by that point, I was already a full-on Star Wars freak. Had all the toys that had come out up to that point, and had seen the movie at least 15 times in the theater and drive-ins and all that stuff. So by the time Empire rolled around, I was I was truly geeked as a six-year-old boy could be, understanding that this was yet another Star Wars movie coming out. So I waited and waited and waited for the movie to come out, and... I remember this so vividly. I was playing outside the day the movie came out because we were going to go see it that evening. And my neighbors came home and they were pretty giddy about having just seen the movie. And the mom, the two kids and the mom get out of the car. The kids come running over to my house yelling they saw Star Wars, they saw Star Wars. And the mom said to me, she said, are you going to see Star Wars? And I said, yeah. And she said, I can't believe that Darth Vader is Luke's dad. And I'm like, what? Okay. So I'm a six-year-old who had the movie spoiled for me right before I saw it. But in the end, it really didn't ruin anything for me. I mean, I was six. How much suspense could I possibly be in? But I still remember that to this day. As far as toys go, I don't know if anybody else has ever noticed this, but there's something about that original Yoda figure that we got back in the day. The green plastic they used, I could have sworn that that thing glowed in the dark. It just had that green tint to it. But alas, it was just a a cool hue of green that was neither accurate nor glow-in-the-dark, sadly. But that's my Empire Strikes Back memory. Uh, Talk to you all later. Bye. I can't imagine that. I mean, that's like telling a kid that there's no Santa Claus or Easter Bunny or SpongeBob isn't real. Justin Bieber really is not all that. Ooh. I don't know who he is. Apparently he's got, I don't know, his hair doesn't move. I don't know. I don't remember the aha moment of seeing it. You know, I remember seeing the movie in theaters, but I don't remember any big revelation. Like that was a shock. Here's the thing about Empire. It's not a one trick pony. It's not like if you go in knowing that Vader's Luke's dad, you're not still going to see one of the most incredible 
freaking movies of all time. There are these movies that play on the trick. You know, you see it one time to see it. Uh, the human centipede is coming to mind. You know, you want to see that human centipede. But once you've seen it, it's not like you're necessarily going to go back again and again. There's a lot of these movies that are around that one trick. The Matrix. Well, maybe The Matrix. I'm, I'm kind of like it, but there are just some where you want to see the thing, right? And the whole movie builds up to the thing and then you do it. That's why they never show like Godzilla in the trailers. You have to go see the movie if you want to see Godzilla. E.T. They never showed E.T. in the trailers. You had to go see the movie if you want to see E.T. Empire, you know, I probably would have been far more upset if you told me Yoda was the little guy on the log saying he was actually going to take you to Yoda <laughs> than the Luke who's I'm your father. I think the I am Yoda is the bigger reveal uh, to me. Luke, I am your father. That comes out of left field, but I am Yoda. Oh my God. You, you're, you mean, where, uh, where are you taking me then? Yeah. There's just so much good about Empire that, you know, that one spoiler, I don't think, really dings it at all. I mean, how many times have I watched this movie? There's no new surprises. Every time I watch Empire, Luke still loses his hand, Vader's still his dad, and Yoda's still a Muppet. But I keep watching because it's that good of a movie. Hey, Star Wars Action News. This is Dan, Darth Rockstar, with my Empire Strikes Back memories. Now, Empire is my favorite movie of all the Star Wars saga, despite some rather unpleasant events surrounding it. I was taken to see Empire Strikes Back on opening day at matinee by my grandmother in La Follette, Tennessee. It was a little theater with three screens, and I went to the restroom to make sure I wouldn't have to get up during the movie. I returned to what I thought was the correct theater, and the movie had started. It was dark, I was trying to find my seat, and about the time the scary music and the screaming started, I realized I'd gone into the wrong showing. Rather than going to my seat in the theater showing Empire Strikes Back, I was next door in that afternoon showing of Friday the 13th, which had released two weeks prior. Like I said, Empire Strikes Back has always been my favorite Star Wars movie. Most likely that is because I had an uncle who owned it on beta. And I would be over at his house watching that at least once a week all through my childhood. So that movie was ingrained on me. I don't think that's why it necessarily is my favorite. However, it was nice to get to see my favorite on a regular basis before it was common to have copies of movies around the house. My strongest Empire Strikes Back memory, however, doesn't occur opening day, or even opening week. It actually would occur that following winter. Uh, the winter after Empire Strikes Back was released, my parents bought me a Hoth Han. That evening, Han disappeared. After searching and searching, his body was recovered in the fireplace. My younger brother, for unexplained reasons, had chosen to sacrifice Han to the gods. This was such a jarring experience that I would not get Hoth Gear Han again until his re-release in 1996. And then it was a full circle moment for the rock star. So those have been my Empire Strikes Back memories. I uh, hope you all enjoy them and look forward to hearing everyone else's. Great show. No, Jason. I am your mother. Wrong movie. <laughs>
Although both have a beheading. Friday the 13th, it's Jason's mom. Empire, it's Vader in the cave. <gasps> oh, man. But one of those two films traumatized me for life and the other did not. You pick which. Marjorie, it's Robert Darcy Kari calling in with my Empire Strikes Back memories. Um, well, let's just sort of frame this. I was in third grade when uh, Empire Strikes Back came out. Um, as you can kind of imagine, uh, my first three years of grade school, having started first grade when the original Star Wars movie came out, had been pretty much Star Wars based as far as, you know, between the figures, school supplies, everything else. As soon as it hit a store anywhere around where we lived, it was mine. Somehow, I had to acquire it. So, unfortunately for me, I was one of those few kids who, in 1980, learned the story of Empire Strikes Back about a week before the movie came out. Uh, somebody had actually stocked the picture storybook at our local Toys R Us store, and being you know, the ravenous kid that I was, ooh, something new, got to have it, got to have it right now. So literally, my mom was, uh, purchased it for my brother and I. We went out to the car, and we sat down in the car in the parking lot of the Toys R Us and proceeded to read the storybook right there. Unfortunately, um, uh, my mom did warn us because she was reading a little faster than we were when we got to the Luke, I am your father line that she kind of put her hand over it and said, do you really want to know what happens next? And of course, you know, my brother and I were like bouncing off the walls at this point. It's like, yes, we have to know right now. So, uh, yeah. So the biggest secret in movie history, I knew about a week before the movie was in the theaters. Um, so when I came to the theaters, there was not much that surprised me except for the fact that, you know, that all of a sudden Grover was there. It's like the moment that Yoda said his first line, I nearly fell out of my chair laughing because, you know, instantaneously you could recognize Frank Oz's voice. Um, saw it uh, once on the day it came out, then saw it. The next day, I think we saw it every day for the following three or four days, went to a showing. It was amusing. Is that pretty much everyone at my school called in sick at lunch. Like, all of a sudden, everybody at our school just happened to have, you know, something that they mysteriously got ill and had to leave school just about noon so we could all go to that uh, first show of, of Empire. Um uh, side note, favorite collectible has to be the ADAP. Uh, the, we had, my brother and I had had the, uh, the little cardboard playset, the one from Sears when I first came out. We thought that was kind of cool. But when we first saw pictures that there was a full-size plastic posable ADAP coming out, we uh, immediately started you know, saving up pennies and dimes and everything else. And I'll tell you, when that thing was sitting there in our front room of our house, it was one of the happiest moments I could think of as far as toys go in my, enti you know, my whole childhood. It was just drooling over the gigantic box. You know? <laughs> so, but, but anyway, just figured I'd share that with you guys. Um, always enjoying the show. I'll keep you posted if anything interesting happens out there. And um, have a good one. Bye.
I wish I had awesome memories of my first time seeing it like that, but I don't remember. And it's just, I feel kind of sad. I'm sorry. It's okay. Did you have any of the toys or did your brother? My brother had this Millennium Falcon toy that was the shiznit because he played with that all the time. Kept all his G.I. Joe and He-Man in there too, in addition to the Star Wars character. I don't see how He-Man would... The back opened I up. I know, I had and it. And you could but put them all in there. He put everything in there and carried it around. Kind of like I did with the Adat. Yeah. The Adat was so cool because it stood so tall. I mean, it's a couple of feet almost, if not two feet. It's probably 18 inches. Perhaps it's only 18, but when you're a kid... Yeah, it's, it's giant when you're it's a kid. It's as tall as you. Yeah. I mean, it's no G.I. Joe six-foot aircraft carrier, no. but it's pretty close. And to have this in the Death Star playset, I really... I, I was just in heaven every time I could go play my place. But Yoda, is he more Grover or more Fozzie? I always thought he was Fozzie. I'm leaning Fozzie. Yeah, either way. Hi, guys. This is uh, Darren from Utah, uh, just calling in to share my little uh, memory of, of Empire Strikes Back, going and seeing it in the theater. I remember as a kid, we uh, we went there to see the show. We were so excited. The theater was so packed, so my brothers and I, we all had to sit on the steps of uh, of the, the theater, you know, inside the seating there. Rather than sitting in a chair, we were on the steps, but we didn't mind at all. We were jumping up and down and playing, just excited as could be. Um, I remember just being so excited about seeing the AT-ATs and seeing, of course, the, the snow troopers that I've always loved. Those guys just looked so cool. And it was it was just such a, a great experience. It still carried through, you know, all these years. I just absolutely love that show. So, uh, yeah, fond memories of Empire Strikes Back, and I believe I'll fire it up this weekend and uh, – show it to my son and he won't have to sit on the steps but i'm sure he'll be playing with all his toys and he'll break out uh all his fun star wars toys and i think i'll even let him play with my ad app that i still have from back then anyhow thank you guys for the podcast it's a great show and uh hope you guys enjoy it bye Snow troopers do rock. They are the scariest of them all. They're all really scary to me, but their skirt and their like no neck little helmet thing kind of freaked me out. Me too. They really, really freaked me out. The AT-AT drivers were really cool. I didn't realize they were just albino TIE fighter pilots back then. No, but, but they were people. Yeah. The they were people. The snow troopers with their little half capes. Yeah. Oh, they were. I figured that because they wore capes, they were elite because Vader wore a cape and he was a badass so these guys were half badasses because they had half capes again evidence of how awesome empire strikes back is in addition to a new hope also being incredibly awesome hoth battle scene still gets me on the edge of my seat it seems unwinnable how are they gonna get everyone out is the princess gonna escape is han gonna get out what about the droids and the dialogue is just so punchy and perfect yes yeah the hoth scenes really are just ripping Hey, Arnie and Marjorie, this is Barrett, Master Collect Em All from the forums, calling in to give my kneesies the DZ on my Empire Strikes BZ memoriesies. I won't do that again. I didn't call in last week for the Revenge of the Sith memories because in 2005, my son wasn't quite one year old yet. I had journeyed out to be a heavy equipment operator, and I was just finishing up my construction safety education to start a new career. And my wife was starting her new business. So Revenge of the Sith kind of got put on the back burner, and I actually saw it for the first time on DVD. Empire Strikes Back, however, was a different story. I was born in 1976, 
And just like our Republic Forces radio host, Darth Bounty, I share a birthday in May with him, and mine was on the 27th. So when the 21st came rolling around, my cousin, who was 16 at the time, wanted to take his girlfriend to the movies. And he basically got stuck bringing my twin brother and myself along with him. So it was basically the first time I was going to the movies. I was very excited. We showed up at the drive-in. And yes, they still had drive-ins back in the 80s. It was pretty abundant, especially here in California. Um, We drove to the drive-in to see a movie. I had no idea what movie I was going to see. And when we got there, my cousin uh, went into a separate car with his girlfriend and basically left my twin brother and I to watch the movie by ourselves. Then you had the opening... Dun, 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 dun. And I had never heard any music like that, anything start like that. You know, to, to my prior experiences with television or anything on the screen was, was basically Sesame Street, you know, something low scale like that. Nothing to this grand of the scale. When, we, when I saw Hoth for the first time and the shooting and the laser beams, and and Darth Vader and the Wampa, it just blew my mind. Now, you have to remember, in 1980, this was before G.I. Joe. This was before Thundercats, before Transformers, Voltron, He-Man. None of those shows had debuted on television yet. So this was before any of the good versus evil storylines, fantasy storylines that... I had that we just didn't have back then. And I watched that movie. I ate the popcorn. Um, You know, the the big thing that really stuck out for me in that movie was two images. One where Darth Vader is in his, his, his chamber and this, he, the, he, you know, they don't show his face, but his helmet is coming down over his head. And I look at his skin on his head. And even as a young child, I remember thinking that's a dead man. You know, he's dead in that chamber. And that suit's keeping him alive because he's dead. And, you know, which made Darth Vader absolutely terrifying for me. And the other scene that I that stuck with me uh, forever is the scene where Luke gets his hand chopped off. And it wasn't so much of, you know, the revelation of Luke, I am your father, because, you know, that kind of concept wasn't. You know, I really didn't understand that at four years old. But I, what I, what I thought, thought was strange was why is his father chopping off this son's hand? <laughs> you know, so uh, to to talk about my favorite toy from that era era was like I mentioned before. I have a twin brother, so my twin and I basically couldn't have the same toys. So he, my brother, really liked the spaceship. So he had the Slave One. He had the Millennium Falcon. We had I had the Darth Vader carrying case. And I was more focused on the figures. And my absolute favorite figure that I had back then was the Bosk. It was the original Empire Strikes Back Bosk. And I carried Bosk around with me everywhere. By the time I had lost that Bosk, I think he might have had three toes left. His face was all scratched up. You know, I basically turned him to a custom. (laughs) And I love that toy. So I... You know, if I was to choose which story would be my favorite between all of the movies, I would have to say Empire Strikes Back. It was the very first movie I ever saw, uh, Star Wars movie, very first movie I ever saw, period. And it really, really blew my mind and basically opened up 
opened me up to a whole other world out there. And from that day forth, I was a Star Warsian. So thank you for letting me share my thoughts, and I'll talk to you guys later. Ah, Bosk. I've said this story on the show before, too, but I'll say it again. I had a ton of Bosks. I still do in my vintage collection from my childhood. It was around Empire that I went from having a few figures to being a Star Wars collector. And my parents would ask me for a birthday list, and it was basically I'd hand them the card back and X off the ones I'd had and say, I need the other 92. Well, 92 is all of them. I need the other 68 or whatever it was. And, you know, I remember sitting when Christmas would come with the Sears and JCPenney's catalogs and flipping right to the toy section and taking my Crayola marker and circling the big vehicles I wanted, like the Ad Ad and the Slave One. Well, I'd have a ton of these proof of purchases, right? Just sitting around, mail away and get Bosk. And, you know, to this day, I'm kind of not future sighted. I never thought of saving my proof of purchases for a rainy day. I have six proof of purchases. I'll go get Bosk. I have six more. I'll get another Bosk. And so I had a lot of Bosks. I always thought his gun was weird because it went all the way up his arm and only had a little barrel. You know? Kind of weird. He was the way compensating. He <laughs> Slave one, really cool vehicle. Mine never really held the cargo door well, but I loved it just for the fact that it had hot and carbonite, which freaked me out as a child. The whole carbonite thing freaked me out. I thought the Bausch was scary, but that's like in three years. We'll talk about that. But yeah, Han being frozen like that and becoming a statue. Oh, just that that gave me nightmares. I was fine with the amputation, the decapitation and the fatherhood issues but you freeze a man in carbonite and that scars me which is why i must <laughs> purchase everything on carbonite i'm owning my fear conquer through ownership stop looking at me swan oh, i'm sorry i had to do it hello there arnie marjorie this is dave dirty dave from the forums from the Vinton, dallas and fort worth area and i was just calling in uh leaving y'all my uh empire strikes back memory which it's a little bit of one. It's not much. Uh, I had turned four just a week before the movie released. And uh, I do remember going and seeing it up on the square in Denton at the old movie theater up there. That's I want to say it's a campus, campus movie theater or something like that. But, of course, it had the big, way huge marquee with the big flashing lights. And we got a free poster for going to see it on an opening night, which happened to be the... Uh, Han and Leia in the carbon freeze chamber, and I still wish to this day that I would have held on to that poster or kept it in good condition because I couldn't imagine having a collectible like that in good quality today. All I've got is my toys, which are all ragged out and very well played with, but I love them. But uh, anyway, I guess my favorite collectible from that era, from that movie, had to have been the Snowspeeder, which me and my brother both got our Snowspeeders for Christmas. But the big thing about that was he had the chicken box. And we got to open our Christmas presents in our bedroom. So that was awesome. It was, you know, super streamlined. We just got to open up our presents immediately go to play and didn't even have to skip the, you know, didn't even have to go through the whole part of transporting them back to our bedroom. But uh, that's it. Uh, you guys are awesome. I love the show. Can't wait to meet y'all at C5. It's going to be awesome. Oh, my gosh. So ready. But uh, keep up the good work, man. You guys are awesome. I love it. Bye. 
I know a lot of people loved the Snowspeeder vehicle, I'll be honest. I didn't get my first Snowspeeder of the Kenner line until like two years ago at one of those almond auctions. So now I finally have one, but I had a Play-Doh set for The Empire Strikes Back and it had a Snowspeeder. And even to me back then, I realized that the Play-Doh Snowspeeder was far more to scale with my AT-AT than the Kenner Snowspeeder because the AT-AT foot was supposed to crush the whole Snowspeeder. And I was able to take my Luke X-Wing figure and just wedge him in to the Play-Doh snowmobile speeder. And so that was my snow speeder toy. I, I don't even think it was white. I think it might have been yellow. No, and looking at some pictures online, it was white. And the little Play-Doh people, you know, I never cared for Play-Doh because it got all crusty and it didn't stay well. But yeah, I always kept those little Play-Doh props. I, I kind of missed that aspect of my childhood, you know, the Star Wars Play-Doh type thing. They have Play-Doh back, but it's not the same. It's not the fuzzy pumper we used to have. Yeah, that was the kind of stuff. There was an R2-D2 one at one time, as I recall. Yeah, I think there was. Yeah. Hello, Arnie Marjorie and Star Wars Action News. This is Kevin from Sweden calling in for the first time just to congratulate The Empire Strikes Back who turns 30. Thank you for calling. So cool to have listeners in Sweden. I remember doing our Frapper map and being freaked out at all the different countries that listen to us. Yeah, that's so old. When does Frapper map? No, that was like a flash in the pan that yeah. we just happened to be right at the right moment of. I haven't checked our Frapper map in years. No literally. one else has either. But thank you for calling. Call and let us know what toy shopping is like in Sweden. I'd, I'd really like to know. Star Wars Action News Universe. This is Jacob, known as Smash DOS Robots on the forums, and I'm calling in with my earliest Empire Strikes Back memory, which it's a bit of an odd one. It comes from a very young age, and the weird thing about the Empire Strikes Back is I don't remember seeing this one in the theater. I know I did. I have secondhand accounts from people that were with me. I just have no direct memory of sitting in a movie theater watching this movie. But, I mean, I remember seeing A New Hope before it was even called A New Hope in the theater at the age of, like, five. Uh, but this one, it's a different kind of memory because I wasn't in the theater, but it's a discussion I had. And I'm guessing I was seven or eight years old. It was sometime between 82 and 83. I'm able to narrow this down because I remember the same day that I, I watched a music video on something called MTV. Uh, I, yeah, I'm making that old joke that they don't play music anymore. But, but this was back when MTV was just magical, and there was a bunch of weird art bands and new wave bands. And I remember I was watching the video for the song Our House by Madness and, and being totally confused as I was, again, seven or eight. I took this song very literally, and I was wondering why someone's house was in, in the middle of the street. It, it just sounds dangerous. Cars are weaving around it. you got to look both ways every time you want to walk out of the house. Um, but I remember watching that video. In, in the same day, it was during some family gathering. I was hanging out with my cousins. who We were all Star Wars geeks. But, you know, you're growing up in the 80s as a kid who wasn't a Star Wars geek. And we were sitting around just talking about movies and, and cartoons. And cause we, you watched a lot of those back in, back in the 80s, a lot of cartoons, He-Man and G.I. Joe and Transformers. Uh, not so much droids or Ewoks, though, oddly enough. But we're sitting around just talking about movies and storytelling. And I remember thinking, you know what? Movies and storytelling and cartoons, it's all really boring. It's always the same story. Because the good guys always win. And we're having this discussion, why do the good guys always win? And then it dawned on me, and I'm like, wait a second. 
When the Empire Strikes Back, the good guys don't win. The bad guys win. Luke Skywalker gets his hand chopped off. Han Solo's frozen in a big block of ice. You know, C-3PO's blown up and scattered into pieces. Darth Vader wins. He and, and, and it blew my mind even more at the age of seven or eight. Darth Vader is the dad of the good guy? That's like saying uh, Satan is the dad of Jesus. Like, it's crazy. That It blew my mind at that young of an age to see a story like that, where it wasn't so black and white, where it wasn't, you know, the good guys win. And it really set me on this weird, dark path of, of postmodernism. It's this theme that's gone throughout my life. You know, growing up, I, I think because of that movie, I always kind of sided with the bad guys for some reason. I always wanted to be on Cobra's side, not G.I. Joe's, you know, because there was just something so different about that movie and about the, you know, and you see that in other films, but to be a kid, you don't usually see that in something that's for a small child. But there it was. And uh, it it set me on this weird path in life where I I like to dissect things and, and look for good coming from evil and evil coming from good and and yeah so like i said it's it's a little bit of a weird a different empire strikes back memory but that's my earliest memory of it just how it really twists things around and and that a movie and even a, a big mainstream movie can still do something different and new and surprise you and that isn't that what makes the empire strikes back so great i say yes Bye. I think that's a completely different take than anyone else, don't you think? Well, you know, I've heard this argument before that the bad guys won an empire. They did. That was the whole point of the movie. Never saw that as a child. I didn't either, but uh, here, it's here's the Empire thing. Strikes Back. Right. Well, I know that the movie has the rebels on the run the entire time, whereas at the end of A New Hope, the rebels win. But I don't know. I always saw it as I saw it as the good guys won. And looking back, I now see it as a stalemate. And let me defend this position. The whole idea by the Empire is to capture Luke and turn Luke to the dark side, right? That's what the entire movie is about, is Vader going after Luke. Vader doesn't get Luke. So, how did they win? What did they win? The rebels are still running. Yeah, Han's frozen in carbonite. Yeah, there's a racial casualty. But I didn't see it as a total loss. In looking at it, I kind of see it as a stalemate where, you know, both sides didn't achieve their goals. But the Empire was clearly in the lead at the end of that movie. You had one hero missing an arm, another hero frozen in carbonate, which was scary as a child. Carbonite, just the whole concept of it. I agree with you. They're splintered. They were betrayed by Lando and now Lando's a good guy. Found out that Luke's father is the worst of all possible scenarios. You know, it's, it's, the Empire's clearly winning. I think Luke's grandfather is the worst of all possible scenarios. True. But I, I just never saw it as that downbeat of an ending. I, it just never got to me like that and you don't think when they're standing on the medical frigate at the end with luke and leia that you don't just feel the oh man how are they ever gonna get out of this they were back together though but where was han 
on. Well, they're gonna go rescue Is them. he going to live? Luke lost his arm. I was five. I guess I just didn't think about such things. No, granted, these are all from my adult mind, not my childhood mind. It definitely has a bit of a cliffhanger aspect to it, and I think that's one of the reasons why Return of the Jedi was the first movie I was ever at opening day, and the first movie where I was reading the novelization beforehand is because of Empire's cliffhanger ending, but I just didn't see it as the bad guys winning the way that it seems a lot a lot of people do see it. I just, I never saw it like that, but that's one of the great things about Empire or any form of art is everybody's interpretation is a little bit different. Hey, Arnie Marjorie, Jason from Missouri here, calling in with a uh, Empire Strikes Back collectible I found today. I was at my local Borders, and I was overlooking at their small selection of card games and whatnot, and I found a uh, two-pack of playing cards from our favorite card company, Cardamundi. They had two decks of Empire Strikes Back playing cards in a collectible tin. The tin got some rather vintage-looking art on the front of Vader looming over the rest of the film characters, holding his lightsaber. And uh, the two decks are a special Empire Strikes Back deck. Uh, every card has a bun- has a stills from the movie on it. And the card back is a classic Empire Strikes Back poster. And the second deck is one that's already been released. It's the poster deck where every card has a different Star Wars film poster on it. But they've changed up the card back from the old Revenge of the Jedi uh, poster being the art to the Empire Strikes Back poster being the art. So it's a bit of a variant on an already released deck along with a brand new deck. Just like call in, seeing as we are in the anniversary month for Empire Strikes Back. Hope you guys are having a good time doing whatever it is you're doing. Keep up the great show. Talk to you guys later. Thanks for the heads up. Cardamundi's decks are very cool stuff, and they never get good distribution. Every so often we'll find one at like a Walmart, but it's never reliable, and you're never even sure exactly where they are. Sometimes they're in the coil, sometimes they're at checkout, sometimes they're in the card game section with the Pokemon. You never tell. Yeah, I know. We always have to stop and look at those, don't we? And usually buy them. Yes. Hey guys, how's it going? This is uh, Mike the Birdman Dog from ThisWeekInGeek.net, and I uh, just saw your Twitter looking for uh, Empire Strikes Back memories. Um, first saw this movie when I was a kid on, I think it was HBO or uh, Cinemax or something, and I remember absolutely falling in love with this movie, mostly due to the snow speeder uh, fight on Hoth. I went crazy as a kid trying to get my own snow speeder. I could never find them in stores. It took forever. I love the whole ad-ad experience. It was my first trooper collection. I started collecting uh, snow troopers uh, from then on and just absolutely loved everything about The Empire Strikes Back. I thought it was a really cool story. It was the first movie I'd seen where the heroes lose, and it really kind of struck accord with me, and I liked the whole uh, love thing between Han Solo and Leia, and that just kind of set the precedent for how I approached a lot of my love life for a a number of years. So Empire Strikes Back, probably my second favorite Star Wars movie of all time, and uh, you'll be glad to know I finally did get myself a snowspeeder a couple of years ago, 
sadly, it is one of the prizes of my Star Wars collection. It's one of the original ones, and it still works with all the sounds and everything. So I'm kind of happy about that. So anyway, guys, as I'm off to fun of saying whenever I sign off, live free or die hard and keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for calling, Mike. The love story between Luke and Leia. I've got an interesting story on this one. I was in college, and I was watching Empire about every weekend. And I get into a literary deconstruction class, right, where we have to start evaluating the mindset of the author through the readings of their works. It involved a lot of reading. I'm not going to lie. It was kind of painful at times. We were given seven days to read the entire novel Gone with the Wind. I'm actually just stunned by that because that's not like you. What? To read like that. Well, it was an assignment. Wow. I had to read it. It was terrible. Yeah. I've never seen Gone with the Wind, the movie, but I've read this astoundingly bad book and I'm reading this torturous novel. Did I mention it's a thousand and forty eight pages? Wow. In one week with page after page describing fields and oh, but then I get to this point where, you know, the whole scarlet red love affair, right? And I'm, you know, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm finally going to see this. And I did like the Rhett Butler character there. And there was something I was clicking with, with the Rhett Scarlet thing. And then all of a sudden I'm like, they kind of have a Luke and Leia vibe. And then there's lines in Gone with the Wind, this novel from 1938. You like me because I'm a scoundrel. I like nice men. I'm nice men. Wait, what, what the hell book am I reading? Yeah. The dialogue in Empire is lifted directly from Gone with the Wind, the novel. Are you kidding? No, not at all. Oh. That entire Han Leia, it's Rhett Scarlet. Never knew. Wow. Hmm. I guess. The- and I, I made that the focus of my entire paper, thus turning in a paper about Star Wars. How that did was that go work, work for you? B minus for the win. Not bad. Not bad. Said I should have focused more on Gone with the Wind and less on Star Wars. Hey, Arnie and Marjorie. This is Eric. Echo 3 on the boards. I'm here to give you my Empire Strikes Back memories. Um, my first memory of the Empire Strikes Back was um, seeing it when I was about 10 years old when it came out. Um, my mom worked days, so my grandmother agreed to take me to see it. Um, I still think back to, uh, to this day that it was nice of her to take me to see it when she had no idea what Star Wars was and you know cared less about it. But I do remember that it was at uh, the College Mall um, here in Bloomington, Indiana, and the line stretched forever, it seemed. I can still remember that line. It was the um, place where, lucky, lucky for me, the place where I was in line at was right across from a circus world, which used to be a toy store in our mall. And they had, of course, they had all the Star Wars figures sitting, the Empire Strikes Back figures sitting right there. So I remember my very first Empire Strikes Back figure um, from the vintage line was Han Solo and Hoth Gear. And, you know, I, never, I hadn't even seen the movie yet, and I didn't care. I just thought that figure was so cool. So that was my first figure. And I don't rem- really remember any impressions after seeing the movie. Um, but, you know, just that standing in line with my grandmother, that's what I got most from. I do remember going home and calling my mom at work and telling her um, that... Uh, Darth Vader was Luke's father. I do remember that. Um, another toy memory was um, that winter, like probably January or February, um, my, an aunt of mine passed away that I'd never met, and she left me $500 in her will. So um, being that we were on a tight budget because my mom was raising me by herself, um, I got to choose a small toy out of that money. And I remember getting... A the probot uh, playset with the you know the rebel cannon with the probot. 
I remember getting that, and I remember getting some Star Wars sheets for my bed. So that well, I remember taking that ProBot out into the snow because we had snow that that at that time, taking it out into the snow and playing and reenacting reenacting the uh, Empire Strikes Back scene on you know on Hoth. So um, those are my two fondest memories of the Empire Strikes Back. Um, enjoy the show and keep it up, and we'll see you later. The Probot, another really eerie and scary, powerful. I thought the Probot was just bad with all those arms. Never mind the fact that he's actually goes out like a punk. You fire at him once and he self destructs. Mm-hmm. He's like an ostrich. You know, if an ostrich is loose, you can't let it see you capturing it or it'll have a heart attack and die. <laughs> so that's like the Probot. But when I was a kid, the Probot rocked. I never had a Probot. And when they came out with the deluxe figure in 1996, finally making deluxe figures that didn't suck like Luke on a space skateboard. I was really happy to get my ProBot. I did have the Hoth Ice Planet playset, which had the big gun and like a collapsing wall, but it wasn't the ProBot and turret playset. It was really here where I started getting into the playsets. I got the Dagobah playset. I got the Hoth Ice Planet, but never did get the turret. It was always on my list of things though that I wanted because of that ProBot. And just the fact that it was called a ProBot. It wasn't an amateur bot. It was a ProBot. <laughs> Well, hello, Marjorie and Arnie. This is Brad in sunny Pennsylvania, very active member of the Pennsylvania Star Wars Collecting Society. And I got a few thoughts on my memories of May 1980. My dad took me to see the premiere of The Empire Strikes Back, and we, we couldn't believe we were waiting in a long line just to see a mere movie. That was my dad's comment. Uh, I believe it was the Sam Eric uh, Theater in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, which was the first movie that I ever saw with surround sound and uh, in full 70-millimeter glory on the very big screen. First movie I ever saw with uh, stereo sound like that, particularly the scenes of Dagobah. It sounded like you were right there. I kept looking around me expecting to see bugs and stuff, but that was a cool Cool memory for me back then. I also learned that day about spoilers. We didn't even have the term spoiler back then, but I had read the book the day it came out because I could not wait to see what happened next to our heroes. And uh, I remember, so I knew all the surprises about, you know, Vader being the father and especially Yoda. I remember initially I was extremely disappointed that Yoda sounded exactly like Grover from Sesame Street. I could not get over that for a long time. As far as my favorite collectible from the Empire Strikes Back era, it would definitely have to be the die-cast tie bomber from Kenner. It was only test-marketed in a few areas, and it's considered extremely rare. Uh, But I'm lucky enough to have one. And I also love all the die-cast line, the clown car, the snow speeder, and all those things. Well, that's all I got for The Empire Strikes Back, and uh, I guess I'll call you in three years for Return of the Jedi. Take care of those tadpoles. Peace. That's like the greatest sign-off ever, and I think that we're going to start adopting that at the end of each of our podcasts. This is Arnie and Marjorie. Take care of those tadpoles. It's kind of like always have your pet spayed or neutered. It's going to be What's Casey us. Kasem's? Something about reaching for the stars. That's what you reminded me of. Oh, uh, all I can think of Casey Kasem is, and now on with the countdown. What's a little boy in South Park? Macy Mason or something? Yeah. I never had any of the Star Wars die-cast vehicles until, I think, the past year when we picked up a couple at that toy show in St. Louis. Oh, wait, no, I got a couple from my deal. 
color. That's right. I gotta say, as a child, I was a child of very simple desires. I knew better than to try to push my luck with my parents. If I wanted all of the three and three quarter inch line, which I didn't even know what it was. It was just the line that I liked. I didn't know about the others. But I knew not to start asking for other things, like the small mini die cast toys that Jerry's been reviewing. Or, God forbid, one time we were at a Kroger grocery store and I saw a 12-inch Chewbacca and a 12-inch Boba Fett. And I'm like, oh, I want, but I knew better than to even ask because that would mean I wouldn't get some other figures. So I, I tried to keep myself of humble and simple means. Ask for a little and get whatever. Now, speaking of collectibles, I've talked about what my favorite toys were as a kid, but I've been really giving this some thought this week as to what my favorite Empire collectible is. And when I looked around the Smithsonian, I realized a lot of my collectibles are really Empire based. I mean, I've got a lot of Boba Fett stuff out there. Slave One and I've got AT-ATs and ATSTs, which made their first appearance briefly in Empire. And I've got a lot of Empire stuff around here. So I, I've kind of narrowed it down that three of my four favorite collectibles of my entire collection are Empire related. Really? Which ones? What, what would you think? The Han and Carbonite. Yes, that is one of them. That is definitely a contender for favorite collectible. Give you a hint. The other two are both made by Master Rebels. I don't know. The AT-AT. Oh, crap. I forgot about the AT-AT. And the Millennium Falcon, which technically... I was going to say that, but was it the Empire Falcon? It is technically the Empire Strikes Back Falcon, which always made me nervous that they would also sell a, a New Hope Falcon and a Return of the Jedi Falcon at an equal 2000 apiece, and I'm kind of glad they went out of business before they did. <laughs> Yeah, uh, if my entire collection started to go and I could only save a handful of items, those three would be the ones. Of course, they're the three biggest that I'd have trouble carrying up the stairs. But those plus my autographed visual dictionaries and my Sam Jackson Mace Windu Saber. The Falcon is great. The problem is it just doesn't epitomize Empire for me. The Han and Carbonite, oh, it is phenomenal. I love having the life-sized one. Problem is the Icons one, they didn't put any detail on the sides. I really kind of wish Sideshow would make a life-sized one. I'd pay the 4000 and put some LEDs in the mofo. Would you? No. I would. Hmm. I would. Yeah, I imagine. Now that I don't have this rule of three, I'm going to have a lot of extra Star Wars money. Yeah, I guess you are. You better get working on selling that. So I think that because it has simply no flaws I can detect, the AT-AT wins as my favorite Star Wars Empire Strike Back collection. Hmm. That's very interesting. I always thought it had been Han just because you like the Han. I love the Han. I just don't think it was done as well. You know, it's great. And I think it's the wrong market to tackle something like that now. Yeah. Uh, they did the life-sized R2 and 3PO, which I passed on. I didn't care for the fact that they were all grunged up, you know, Tatooine desert They're models. They're still for sale. Yeah, I, I would go for another Han and Carbonite that had nice LED panels and things along those lines, though. I think that would really be cool. I, I don't know what I'd do with my current one, because God knows nobody needs two Han and Carbonites, not even Java. But it's just, when I looked at it, at first I had to check to see if I got a knockoff, because the side panels were so poorly done. So the AT-AT, that is that is my hmm. number one Empire Again, something we have to treat like it's a bomb. Yes. Yes. Oh, assembling that was a nightmare and disassembly will be even worse. Yes. I loathe it. But here to share with us some of his favorite toy memories from Empire Strikes Back is Jerry. Happy birthday, Empire Strikes Back. Hey, everybody. This is Jerry. You may know me as Bounty on the forums and the host of the Vintage Viewpoint segments here on Star Wars Action News. Well, I'm here to bring you my memories of The Empire Strikes Back. I'm actually going to tell you about a few of my favorite items from that time frame. Not exactly a vintage viewpoint segment here, but just a few things from that time period that really meant a lot to me. You see, I was five years old when Empire came out, and this time frame represents some of my earliest memories. My parents did not go see movies. It just really wasn't their thing. In fact, 
My dad took me to just one movie when I was young, and it was actually the original Star Wars in 1982. One of the other reasons I suppose we didn't see Empire is that in 1980, I actually got pretty sick with a disease called Rye Syndrome. I actually was very fortunate and blessed to have even survived as I had reached stage 4 of the disease's 5 stages. I spent quite a bit of time in the hospital that year, and there was one item that I got as a gift that I absolutely loved. It was the Scholastic Books paperback version of the Empire Strikes Back storybook that I believe was originally made as a hardback by Random House. For me at that time, this was one of the few ways I had to know the story of Empire Strikes Back. I actually didn't see Empire Strikes Back until 1985 when it started playing on HBO. This was back in the day, kids, where VCRs were not commonplace, and even if you had one, it wasn't likely you had a personal copy of Empire Strikes Back, because back then most VHS film releases were $100 plus. We didn't get our first VCR until 1986, and believe me, when NBC first broadcasted Empire in 1986 or 1987, whatever it was, I was recording it. Now back to the storybook. This book is amazing. Being that I was only five, I wasn't necessarily able to just sit down and read the whole thing, but I remember my dad at the hospital reading the book to me, showing me the pictures, and the book actually has an amazing series of photos to look through. Even if I wasn't able to read this book word for word, Star Wars is so visual that I was able to just put the story together simply looking through the 67 photos that were in it. Now, I just noticed this while uh, pulling together this little uh, voicemail, but amazingly, there isn't a single picture of an Imperial Walker anywhere in this book. Now, what was neat about the book was how the first page shows you all the characters. Let me read you a few of those character descriptions. Here's Chewbacca, a 200-year-old Wookiee, co-pilot of the Millennium Falcon. Here's Darth Vader's description, the evil Imperial Lord, master of the dark side of the universe. And we even get to see Boba Fett, of course, where it says a notorious bounty hunter of the galaxy. What's kind of neat about this book, though, is just some of the basic differences of the storyline versus what we saw in the movie. Let me read you a couple passages. This is a passage of Luke on Dagobah, training under the tutelage of Yoda. It reads, Yoda began to teach Luke the ways of the Jedi. The training seemed beyond human endurance. Luke Skywalker had never felt so exhausted in his life. With Yoda right on his back, Luke had to run farther and faster than he'd believed possible. There was no time to rest. One test followed another. Swing, cried Yoda, as he threw a small silver bar in front of Luke. He lit his lightsaber and swung at it, but it fell to the ground untouched. Luke fell too. I can't, he grasped. Too tired. Were you a Jedi? You could have cut it into seven pieces. I thought I was in good shape, Luke panted. But by what standard, asked I? Forget your old measures. Unlearn. Unlearn. Luke had much to unlearn. Yoda began to lecture him on the ways of the Jedi. Time after time, Luke attempted Yoda's trials, and time after time, he failed them. But with each new challenge, he could leap higher run farther, and react faster. Yet he knew he was still a very long way from becoming a full-fledged Jedi Knight. Next, I'll read a passage from later in the story where Luke is battling Vader on Bespin. Vader stood unmoving in the center of it all. You are beaten. It is useless to resist. Luke knew he was losing the battle. As he felt the force weaken within him, a huge chunk of metal knocked him out of the window and into the reactor room. Luke clung to the edge of the platform and looked down into the bottomless space below him. As he scrambled up to safety... Loudspeakers everywhere commanded Vader's forces to seal off the city. Your friends will never escape, and neither will you, Vader declared. Luke lit his saber and made a vicious lunge. The shoulder of Vader's armor smoked and sparked, and the Dark Lord put his hand to the spot. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did, he thundered. Calm, be calm, Luke told himself. Then Darth Vader charged towards him. Wind began to howl in the reactor shaft as Luke and Vader clashed swords. Suddenly, Vader slashed an instrument panel apart. As Luke glanced at it, floating away in the wind, Darth Vader's saber slashed his arm. Wincing with pain, Luke dropped his sword and backed away. Notice I don't think he was actually meant to lose his hand in this story. 
Continuing. There is no escape, Vader said, moving closer. Don't make me destroy you. You are strong with the Force. Now you must learn to use the dark side. Join me, and together we shall be more powerful than the Emperor. He put down his sword and extended his hand. Come, Luke, he continued. I will complete your training, and we will rule the galaxy together. No, I will never join you, Luke drew back to the edge of the platform. Vader stepped forward and spoke slowly. If you only knew the power of the dark side... Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. Luke glared at Vader. He told me you killed him. No, Luke. I am your father. See, you know, we often give people a hard time about misquoting Empire with Vader saying, No, Luke, I am your father. Whereas in the movie, he just says, No, I am your father. But in the radio drama, the novel, this storybook, and even the comic I'm going to talk about later, he actually says, No, Luke, I am your father. Now, not to go all vintage viewpoint on you, but what's cool about it is that this book is very inexpensive today. You can still find the paperback scholastic version for 5 to $10 and the hardback for 15 to 20 In fact, I may look into getting a hardback version just to have something more durable to read. Although 30 years later, I still have the exact same copy that kept me company at Children's Hospital all those years ago. With all the creases and split spines, I would never let go of this item. Because of this book, I was sure to get the Jedi one years later, and I went back to get the one from the original Star Wars as well. Now, after I recovered from everything and went back to school, there was a second book release that really grabbed my attention as a six-year-old. This was the Marvel Comics illustrated version of Empire Strikes Back, adapted by writer Archie Goodwin and illustrated by Al Williamson and Carlos Garzon. As you may know, the Marvel Star Wars series adapted the Empire Strikes Back film for issues 39 through 44. These issues were released between September 1980 through February 1981. However, a paperback novel-sized collection was made beforehand that was released in May of 1980. There are a lot of differences between this adaptation and the film itself, with the most interesting by far being how Yoda was depicted. Now, as far as I can tell, this is the only version of the Empire Strikes Back comics in which Yoda is drawn this way. Since Yoda's look was kept under wraps until the release of the film, Yoda is depicted based on earlier Macquarie drawings. In fact, a lot of visuals in this book are clearly inspired by Macquarie's artwork. Yoda in this story is a much shorter, thin, purple creature that still has the trademark ears, but has a full head of hair, looking more like an ancient sensei from an old karate kung fu movie. Every other version I've seen of these Marvel comics has Yoda redrawn to fit the look, although there are times that the quote-unquote fix isn't much better. It's just a green version of the same weird-looking Yoda. In addition to that, there are a handful of items that are different from the movie. We see a few scenes of the Wampas attacking the rebel base, and even see what is most certainly George Lucas's first cameo appearance of the trilogy. Heck, even Ozzel and Piet are flip-flopped in terms of their appearances. Ozzel is still the clumsy fool, but the character we know as Piet is, in appearance, becomes Ozzel. It's kind of a forlom zuckus thing, if you ask me. It's even here that we see the first use of the name Major Durlin. <laughs> Who knew? There's also the Empire cutscene of Luke's back to mass depicted, as well as surprising dialogue between Luke and Leia, where Luke tells her that he wants to spend a little time on Dagobah. Now, she doesn't respond well to this at all. Let me read that for you. Leia, wait. What would you think if I went away for a while, to another system, a place called Dagobah? I've got to... What? That's just fine. First Han, now you. I could get more loyalty if I recruited some of those ice creatures we've trapped. Oh yeah, and what's also interesting in this version is that whole Luke could be a powerful ally thing. Yeah, it was the Emperor's idea, not Vader's. The whole dialogue between Leia and Han with the I love you, I know set is much different. Let me read that as well. Han, oh Han, I love you. I couldn't tell you before, but it's true. Just remember that, Leia, because I'll be back. Hey, Harrison, 
Thanks for changing that line, man. I think we all dodged the bullet on that one. Although Arnold Schwarzenegger was sure interested in picking up that line a few years later, huh? Now, what's interesting is I was reading all this from the Marvel comic, and when I went back to read the storybook that I just talked about earlier, a lot of these same things are depicted also in the Empire Strikes Back storybook. Everything with the, the Wapa ice creatures are in the storybook. The lines of Han I just read are in this book. So it's clear that both of these items are probably written from the same source materials, which might have been earlier versions of the script or maybe just some of the cutscenes or whatever that didn't make it through anyway. Now, the most iconic thing about these earlier Marvel compilations is the cover art. It was used in the novel-sized version, as well as the larger format Marvel Super Special Magazine No. 16 and Marvel Special Edition No. 2, both released in the spring of 1980. Now, I'm sure there have been a lot of modern reprintings of these Marvel comics, but two of them in particular I have since added my collection. One of these is the Dark Horse published Marvel collections a long time ago, in which the Empire comics were part of the second omnibus of that set. Now, as recently as 2006, we saw a reprinting that was included as a Walmart exclusive for when you bought original, original trilogy DVDs. You know, that set that had the two discs, one of the special edition, and one of the laser disc copy. Each of the three films were sold separately, but included their respective Marvel reprint from Dark Horse. I was really excited about this DVD version because it had the same artwork as the original Digest. What I've noticed on these, though, is the colors vary quite a bit from version to version. In checking Wikipedia on this, it appears that a different colorist were used on each of the versions I've mentioned. Now, similar to the storybook, none of these vintage comics are terribly expensive if you want to go back and pick them up. Especially if you're not picky on condition, you can easily pick up one of these books for just a few bucks. I later picked up a novel-sized paperback version of the Star Wars and Return of the Jedi comics as well, just to complete my set. Interestingly enough, if you go to StarWars.com to the front page, you'll see an official comic adaptation re-release of the original Empire Strikes Back Marvel comics. Right now, they just have the first issue up in the same online webcomic format that we've seen with the Clone Wars series. Now, I have to share a funny story about this novel-sized book when I got it as a kid. I got it a little bit later on, I think actually in first grade, probably sometime in the 1980-1981 school season. I got it through Scholastic, and I was so excited to read it that when I got on the bus to go home, I actually slouched down in a seat all by myself, and I buried my face in this book. Well, thing was... I was the first drop-off, and my house was only a mile from the school. So, 45 minutes later, I realized what was going on, and I told the bus driver I forgot to get off. Well, the bus driver took me back to my house, and of course, my mom was a nervous wreck. It's just, the book was so fascinating to me that I literally got lost in it, and time meant nothing to me. Between the storybook and this comic version, I really knew the story of Star Wars as well as I possibly could have. Now, I won't go into much detail about this, but a couple years later, I really got into the radio dramas that were played on NPR. Now, again, having not seen the movies for the most part, I cherished the opportunities to hear out the story of these films. To this day, the radio dramas are my favorite, quote-unquote, expanded universe materials. Of course, back then, they weren't expanded universe, they were just Star Wars on radio. Ultimately, I underestimated the magic of movie making, and even in 1985, when I saw this movie on a small screen, as spoiler-filled as one could be, I was still blown away by the visuals. Nothing can match the actual movie itself. For example, the asteroid field chase in Empire is not very exciting in print form or just reading it out of a storybook. John Williams' music and all the back-and-forth camera angles and the special effects and the sounds make that scene come alive in no other way. My first time actually seeing Empire Strikes Back in theaters was, as you can probably imagine, the 1997 special edition. I think I saw it about four times, just to try to take it all in as much as I can. And despite all the subtle changes, I had an awesome time enjoying this film all over again. So, you know, when it comes to original trilogy movies, I'm one of those guys that, if you ask me what my favorite one is, 
I might give you a different answer each time, just depend on my mood. Right now, though, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is taking some time this weekend, sitting down and watching Empire Strikes Back on my projector in the basement. In fact, I'll probably take the opportunity to watch the original trilogy on Spike when it plays over the weekend. So, I hope you guys enjoyed my memories, and if if you've never had the chance to check out the storybook or this original Marvel Digest, totally check it out. It'll give you a little bit more insight to the film, and it'll even give you some of an official version of some of these cutscenes we've heard about all these years. Well, thanks everybody. Again, happy birthday, Empire Strikes Back, and I'll return you to Star Wars Action News. Thank you, Jerry. And now we have one final Empire Strikes Back memory from Nathan Key Butler, who shares with us not only his memory, but kind of the state of Star Wars as a whole when Empire came out. And I learned quite a bit, so here is Nathan Key Butler. In looking back 30 years to the release of The Empire Strikes Back, I find the beginnings of my Star Wars fandom, before I likely really knew what it was all about. In 1980, my mother did take me to see Empire, but I was a baby at the time. I just hope I wasn't one of those screaming brats that annoy me so much at local theaters today. If I was, I apologize belatedly to my fellow viewers that day three decades back. As a history teacher with an interest in the development of Star Wars and its expanded universe, I was curious, how did fandom in 1980 compare to fandom today? No, there wasn't an internet at that point, at least not in commercial use. That wouldn't happen until the late 1980s. Still though, fans are fans, aren't they? Or has advancing technology transformed us into something new against a backdrop of an avalanche of information? To answer this question, I went to one of the most viable sources of insight into Star Wars fandom in the years between The Empire Strikes Back's release in 1980 and that of Return of the Jedi in 1983. The Star Wars Letters page for the Marvel Comics Star Wars comic book series. Now let's keep in mind that at this point, the true launch of the Star Wars Expanded Universe, or EU, project was about a decade away in 1991. Fans at this point had the original film and its novelization, Empire and its novelization, Brian Daly's three Han Solo novels, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, some newspaper strips, and by the end of this three-year gap, one NPR audio dramatization of A New Hope. The RPG wasn't even around yet, nor were the Lando Calrissian novels. These were the only loosely connected licensed works that we might call the proto-EU. What I discovered was somewhat refreshing, and at least a little bit validating for current fans. We are who we have always been, if perhaps exaggerated a bit in the 21st century. Just as speculation ran rampant in the run-up to each prequel film, and even now, as we approach new novels, new video games, and the final issues of comic series like Knights of the Old Republic and Legacy, fans were just as eager, if not more so, to discover both the direction in which Return of the Jedi, then announced as Revenge of the Jedi, would take the saga, and how the Marvel comic series would fill in the gap between the films. That speculation was also often just as varied as today, and developed the kind of exchanges one might see on any message board. From one particular piece of fan mail to the Marvel series in Star Wars, sent in by Greg Green. By the way, a character who caught my attention originally in a televised Star Wars Thanksgiving special, or was it Christmas, was Boba Fett. Darth Vader refers to him as the greatest bounty hunter in the galaxy. Some small tremor in the Force tells me that Boba Fett will have a big part to play in the series, that is the Marvel comic series, after issue 44, that is, the end of the Empire Strikes Back's comic adaptation. In fact, 
I'm so sure that I believe Lando and Chewie will not find Han Solo because Jabba will kill him. Luke will be drawn over to the Force's dark side, become prince to the Imperial throne, and don a mask to hide his boyish looks. Distraught over the loss of the Rebellion's two most gallant heroes, Princess Leia finds new hope in Lando Calrissian, who is taught the ways of the Force by none other than Boba... Oops, almost gave away a subplot from the Revenge of the Jedi. To those of you rebels who say, no way, just remember the last few words from Obi-Wan, actually Yoda, there is another. Unlike today, when forum responses can emerge in seconds, Green had to wait an entire month for a new letters page, but when it arrived, several readers responded, including Brian Stewart, who argued, I think he's got it all wrong. I think Luke will go back to Dagobah to complete his training as a Jedi. Lando and Chewie will get Han back. And after all of them get back together, Luke will marry, maybe Leia, and will have a son. The son will become a Jedi, and that is the one Yoda talks about. There is another. I think Han will have revenge on you-know-who, and Luke's son will kill Darth Vader. Well, it was kind of close. Once in a while, by the way, fans even got it right with their speculation, as in the case of Scott F. Vales, also in response to Greg Green, who opined, I myself think Princess Leia is the other one Yoda referred to. Remember, she heard Luke's call for help. One can also see that fans were concerned about continuity, even in an era when continuity between licensed Star Wars ventures was rare. Continuity between the films and this proto-EU, akin to 2002's debates over Jedi marriages and the then-new notion of forbidden attachments, was perhaps as guarded by fans then as today in many instances, such as in the case of Luke Skywalker appearing in his first post-Empire comic appearance with a lightsaber. We can see this illustrated in a rather excited letter by Marion R. Larkin. Gah! How could you do it? How could you make the one mistake I was so sure you would never make? I could just choke you! And what, you may ask, has sparked this gentle one's righteous ire? What? I'll tell you what. Right there, in an otherwise wonderful story, issue number 45, Luke's lightsaber. Just where in the bloody blue blazes did Skywalker get that lightsaber? He lost his, remember? He sure didn't have time to catch it whilst plummeting headlong into Cloud City's reactor shaft. Or maybe it fell into his pocket. Oh, grief. Don't get me wrong. I love lightsabers. Wish I had one myself. But I had hoped you would explain the sudden appearance of the new weapon. Please try, oops, try not, do, to figure out a plausible story, huh? Larkin and others, whose letters were printed that month, were not the only ones concerned. The Star Wars response from the editor reads, You weren't the only ones to grill us on the question of Luke's lightsaber. As a matter of fact, we were fairly deluged with similar letters. The way we see it, though, even before his sojourn on Dagobah, Luke had acquired enough mastery of the Force to levitate his saber and free himself from the ice monster on Hoth. It then stands to reason that after studying with Yoda, he certainly could have been able to draw it to himself as he plunged down the reactor shaft. That, in a nutshell, is our defense. And, aside from the fact that we can't imagine doing stories about Luke without his saber, we think it's a good one. If Revenge of the Jedi proves us wrong, then we'll just have to reconcile things in a future issue. Ah, the notion of vintage retcons. For what it's worth, these days it's usually just assumed that Luke had a saber from one of his earlier encounters with saber-wielding villains. We wouldn't learn the true fate of Luke's saber, formerly Anakin's saber, until 1993's The Last Command. 
Fans were also concerned about the proto-EU in relation to the films, just as fans were concerned about the current era of EU in relation to the prequels and the Clone Wars cartoon series. How far could the comics or novels go without treading on ground that would cause contradictions with the next film? In this case, Return of the Jedi. How could stories be told within those constraints? After all, as Randy Stradley, current Star Wars editor for Dark Horse Comics and a man whose first Star Wars comic was written for Marvel in this era has said, the more you define, the more you confine in terms of storytelling. This concern was evident in such letters as one from Kevin J. Dooley, which read, in part, The Empire Strikes Back was a masterpiece of film work and illustrated work, but like the cliff-hanging episodic tale it is, you have a narrow framework in which to work. No definite answers can be given to the burning questions that plague the minds of fans of the Star Wars saga. You can't really show Han getting out of the carbon freezing, or Lando and Chewie finding him, for you don't know, at least I'm assuming you do not, what will occur in Revenge of the Jedi. Please, I hope you're not thinking of having those events, or any others of that kind, occur, only to have it go back to the way it was as the Empire Strikes Back ended. That would be cheating. So true, so true. And of course, what would an expanded universe era be without fans who wish that George Lucas would consider the EU, or at least a fan's preferred parts of the EU, as part of Lucas's saga. Larry Young Jr., regarding the comic issue entitled Writers in the Void, wrote what we might see on a message board today. Has George Lucas seen that issue? He should consider incorporating it into the film saga. Thirty years ago could have been yesterday. Fans were fans then, and fans are fans now. Only now, we have a greatly expanded universe of Star Wars storytelling to enjoy, making us better off than those in the years between Empire and Jedi. Then again, they had just seen The Empire Strikes Back, and they could look forward to Return of the Jedi. Our most recent trip to see Star Wars in theaters was The Clone Wars, and Star Wars on the big screen is, as far as we know, a thing of the past. You know? Maybe they were the lucky ones. Speaking of books and comics, Ari, I think you found a new Empire-related book, didn't you? I want to share with you all a gem that has deepened my appreciation for The Empire Strikes Back more than any other collectible I own. It was recommended to me by one of our listeners, Rob. Knowing my love for Star Wars books, Robert emailed me to tell me of a book he'd just finished reading back in March. And knowing my fondness for Star Wars books of all sorts, not just fiction, and my pride in my book collection, he suggested I pick up Once Upon a Galaxy, A Journal of the Making of the Empire Strikes Back by Alan Arnold. Most of you probably do not know the name of Alan Arnold. He's tucked away in the credits of The Empire Strikes Back, listed quickly in the scrolling credits as Unit Publicist. His name is so fleeting I can think of only one person who would know that name, a boy Marjorie used to babysit who was autistic but memorized the end credits to every movie he watched, from Best Boy to Key Grip to, yes, Unit Publicist. As the Unit Publicist, Alan Arnold was embedded in Norway and England during the filming of The Empire Strikes Back. He would interview the filmmakers and actors, and coordinating with the publicist back at Lucasfilm in California, drip information to the press to build excitement for the much-anticipated sequel to George Lucas's blockbuster. I didn't know Alan Arnold's name, nor was I aware that a making of The Empire Strikes Back book had been released. I honestly thought J.W. Rinsler's upcoming The Making of Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back would be the first. And I must admit to being skeptical. Given the comprehensive coverage Rinsler's research provided for The Making of Star Wars, would I need to read any other making of books for Empire? Wouldn't Rensselaer's cover it all? 
But with the 30th anniversary of Empire, the delay of Rinsler's book from summer to October, plus a hiatus in the Star Wars Action News Book Club, it created a perfect storm, and so I picked up a used copy on Amazon. And I can honestly say I picked up this book with the attitude of, alright, impress me. Empire was already my favorite Star Wars film, though that position sometimes has flip-flopped with A New Hope, so I wasn't really sure what this book would offer. But inside the pages, I found a wealth of information that made me appreciate Empire even more. And after reading this book, the meta-knowledge of its making may have finally cemented Empire's place as my favorite Star Wars movie. I've read a lot of making of movie books in my day, most for science fiction, horror, or other effects-driven films. They all seem to take the same tact, following the film's production, breaking down pieces of effects work, listing some already well-known problems with money or actors or some natural disaster. Rinsler's making of Star Wars was an exception, with the sheer amount of detail it encompassed. Most making of books, including Arnold's making of Empire book, are written by a single author working as a reporter, writing the things he or she sees or what others tell him. Few have the advantage of the time needed to perform the comprehensive research Rinsler puts into his making of books. But Arnold's book immediately felt different than any other I'd read. The title says, A Journal of the Making of the Empire Strikes Back, and that's precisely what it is. Arnold's personal journal that he kept while on various filming locations for The Empire Strikes Back. Which is to say, the book is not so much about the film as it is about the author. For most days, from March 3rd to November 17th, 1979, Alan Arnold wrote his reflections on that day's events. Most of them are Star Wars related, from the troubles with weather while filming in Fence to the reaction of the crew when Carrie Fisher receives a kidnap threat. But in all of these reflections, Arnold tells of his personal reactions to these events. I know little of Arnold, but he's been around the Hollywood machine for some time. He is able to compare and contrast the personalities of Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford against many others he's seen in his time, and his perspective gives this book a uniquely personal touch. Now, the skeptic in me wonders if this was perhaps a bit of laziness on Arnold's part. After all, keeping a daily journal and publishing it as a book is much easier than actually outlining the structure of a nonfiction work and then writing those prose. This journal style allows this book to be free of any kind of structure. One minute he's discussing a party at Carrie Fisher's flat in England, and on the very next page he's discussing budget overruns with George Lucas. Clearly this book was not heavy in post-production. And also, the cynic in me wonders if Arnold is perhaps not a little too indulgent at times. He will write entire entries not about the film, but about the state of the government in England, and troops killed in Ireland by the IRA, and the government in America, these sorts of topics. Now, these are very short passages, and they're scattered few and far between, and they do provide a bit of historical context surrounding the making of The Empire Strikes Back, discussing inflation and the value of the pound versus the U.S. dollar. And honestly, I suspect our many European listeners will get far more out of these passages than I did with my limited U.S. education of social studies. But to me, they were touches that made this, again, feel more like Arnold's personal journal instead of official marketing propaganda. But Arnold's personal view also helped shape this book into a unique experience. For example, most making-of Star Wars movie books I've read are full of technical explanations on how some special effect was executed. I honestly have read more about animatics, blue screen, miniature works, and so on than I care to have read. When I was a teenager, I had dreams of Hollywood, and reading these kinds of stories seemed like a tutelage and a vocation I might someday enjoy. Now, like Empire, I'm in my 30s, and I find such technical discussions to be somewhat banal. I've heard it all before, and I don't care about what software they used. But neither does Arnold. In fact, 
this book is almost entirely without discussion of the film's visual effects. Arnold doesn't understand effects. When he tries to interview Brian Johnson, who's credited for special visual effects for Empire, the interview is quite short, and as Johnson delves into the technical details about mats and other tools of his trade, he loses Arnold, who really has no interest in such things. Arnold tries to keep pulling Johnson back to explain it in ways that would not only be understandable to the layman, but also have meaning, and when that proves impossible, the interview is cut pretty short. So for everyone who, like me, has had enough discussion on new camera lenses created during a film, the detail involved in a matte painting, and the painstaking rigors of doing stop-motion work, all of that is pleasantly in short supply in Arnold's book. Instead, Arnold focuses on the making of empires as it were the making of any film in any genre. He talks about characters, sets, and lighting in such a way that he could be describing anything from Annie Hall to E.T., and the result is an incredibly human look at the creation of this blockbuster film. The book is about half composed of interviews with the film's cast and crew. Most often interviewed is the film's director, Irvin Kirshner, who was not an effects-driven director, but rather one who was very focused on character. Kirshner, called Kirsch by friends and in this book, goes into great detail about being a for-hire director, having Lucas sometimes looking over his shoulder, and the trials and tribulations of working with the various actors' egos. I had honestly thought of Kirsch as someone who was kind of a puppet executing Lucas's will in the creation of this film. Reading Arnold's book showed me how wrong I was. The best example of this comes from a portion in the middle of the book. While filming the carbon freezing chamber scene, Arnold put a wireless mic on Kirsch and transcribed all of the events that day. Remarkably, Kirsch and Harrison Ford were rewriting much of that scene when Kirsch realized the scene needed some dialogue changes to explain why Chewbacca and Leia were taken to see Han be frozen. In Kirsch's mind, why wasn't Han just thrown in without ceremony? As such, Kirsch and Harrison worked on the lines for Han and Lando to say. Left out of the discussion was Carrie Fisher, who became upset and proceeded to yell at Harrison Ford and then yell at Kirsch about being excluded from the rewriting process. Reading this scene showed me so much about these people behind my favorite film. It showed that the collaborative filmmaking process continued through shooting. It also showed how vital Kirsch's involvement was to making a film with such strong emotional themes. And it showed that these actors in the film are just that, actors with actors' egos. Interviews are conducted with Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Billy D. Williams, and others, and success was new to most of them. As a result, Arnold was able to get them to talk about areas of their private lives they would never touch today. Arnold reports on Hamill, whose first child, Nathan, was born during the shoot of Empire, and Mark wanted to keep the birth of his son a secret, lest female fans be disillusioned by Luke Skywalker's unavailability. And Carrie Fisher discusses her childhood being raised by famous parents and how her study of classic films of the 50s and before influenced her work and even how she'll only make lasagna for people she really cares about. But she also talks about what it's like to be nomadic as an actress, living in various places without a true place to call home. Now, not all of the actors are as forthcoming. Sir Alec Guinness, on set for only one day, wasn't officially interviewed by Lucasfilm's request, although Arnold did sneak in a couple of casual questions. And Harrison Ford, who was going through a divorce at the time, was depicted politely but firmly telling Arnold he does not want the public knowing him as a person, only as an actor. But due to Arnold's constant presence on the set, he became familiar to many of these performers, and those who do speak come across as speaking very honestly, and herein the book becomes a time capsule. In interviews with Lucas, he talks about how the Star Wars saga started as six parts, and then he expanded it to nine. We all see how that came out. He also talks about how the next film will be entitled Revenge of the Jedi. 
We also get to see Lucas talking, again in 1979, about how he'd like to go off and make experimental, non-linear films not driven by plot that wouldn't be commercially successful but would be artistically fulfilling. You know, these are the exact same things he said during the release of Revenge of the Sith in all of his press then, when asked, what are you going to do now that Star Wars is done? If this is indeed true, if this is his dream, I almost feel sad for Lucas having this filmmaking dream for over 30 years now, and now he's heavily mired in the Tuskegee Airmen, the Clone Wars, the Star Wars live-action series, maybe Squishies and some other projects. So this time for experimental filmmaking still eludes him. And honestly, it makes me relate to this man. I can relate to a man whose dreams are always put on the back burner as more immediate needs are tended to. But yet Lucas also comes across as actually noble in the book. He talks about himself as a man who became successful with American graffiti and then incredibly successful with Star Wars. But then he put his every penny on the line, including going into incredible debt by personally financing The Empire Strikes Back. He says in the book that Empire had to be the highest grossing sequel of all time for him to simply break even. That's an incredible leap of faith. Another revealing aspect of this book, though, is how in the interviews, many of the actors show a bit of pragmatism, perhaps bordering on hostility in their relation to the role in the Star Wars saga. The actors are shown feeling a sense of ownership in their characters. Anthony Daniels states that he cares for C-3PO, and when the news is broken that there will be a Star Wars radio drama, Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford are shown being concerned about others playing roles that they made famous. Later in the book, Hamill comments how Lucas ensures each of the actors are expendable so Star Wars can endure if the actors become too troublesome or too expensive. Hamill's case in point, Ford wasn't sure if he wanted to return for the next film, so Han was frozen in carbonite, giving the movie an out if Harrison Ford proved too unwilling or too expensive. Also, in interviews with the masked characters, such as the C-3PO played by Anthony Daniels or Darth Vader played by David Prowse, hints of animosity are shown. This would be a theme that continued into their future relationships with Star Wars. It's well known that during the shoot of Return of the Jedi, David Prowse was accused of leaking plot points and that it ended with security escorting him to and from his scenes for the remainder of the shoot. These masked actors playing Vader, C-3PO, and R2-D2 were given little credit and discouraged from making public appearances lest it wrecked the illusion of C-3PO, R2-D2, and Darth Vader. The costumed counterparts would make many public appearances promoting the films and other items, but the actors themselves were given the short shrift. And even by 1979, this has led to some hurt egos. In the book, Anthony Daniels reflects he once told George Lucas, You opened a door for me, but you didn't tell me that beyond it was another door that you'd slam in my face. This is the kind of honesty you just don't find in Star Wars nonfiction books these days. At least not official ones. And for those of us who are chest deep in Star Wars, keeping up with the latest contractual obligations and appearances at conventions, these are themes that echo in the relationships between the actors and Lucasfilm to this day. I started to mark every instance of revelations such as these in the book, and realized I was marking almost every interview for a certain way it let me see behind the characters and into the actors. Or let me see the characters in a different way as envisioned by the actors. The examples I've given are but a handful in this book, and if you want to know all the details on these and more like these, you're going to have to read the book. Truly, these moments that Arnold captures are the highlights of the book, a chance to see Star Wars as it was rather than as it now is. And for that reason alone, I cannot imagine J.W. Rinsler's upcoming new making of The Empire Strikes Back book 
will contain as many insights as Arnold's journal does. But as I continued to read the book, I became further enamored with it. For in sharing his personal thoughts on all things Star Wars related and not, Arnold perhaps delivers the best insight into movie making, that movies are made by regular people, and while they are obsessed with their current project, the world goes on outside studio walls, and if one becomes too isolated from the world they live in, then their art will cease to have meaning. Arnold also pays special attention to focus, in some part, on the set makers and other technicians who help the process of filmmaking day in and day out. While he never actually pays them their due by interviewing them, realizing we readers were far more interested in reading interviews with the directors and stars, he does pay them quite a bit of lip service. And in Arnold, I kind of found a kindred spirit. Over my five years of working on Star Wars Action News and various other podcasts, I've done my share of interviews with actors, authors, producers, directors, and so on of projects large and small, and in seeing Arnold's tentative questioning about sensitive subjects and trying to put meaningful conversation into interviews so he can get past the well-rehearsed sound bites that actors recite dutifully at press junkets and risking their wrath if asking a question on too sensitive a subject, and seeing Arnold reflect on his relationships with these actors and his duty as part of his job to get along with them even when it goes against what he wants to do, seeing Arnold need to navigate these treacherous waters even though he's a person hired to do so made me really connect with this author. I did, of course, follow up to see if I could interview Arnold for this show, but sadly he has passed away. However, I have no doubt that J.W. Rensler's extensive research for his upcoming making of Empire Strikes Back includes not only this published novel, but hopefully many notes Arnold may have made that didn't make it to print. And so reading this book actually makes me anticipate Rinsler's upcoming book all the much more. For a star rating, I give Arnold's book four and a half stars out of five, judging it for what it is, a pulling back of the curtain to show us a glimpse of the people who made The Empire Strikes Back. Even with Rinsler's upcoming book, I highly recommend you go and find this out-of-print paperback to enjoy for its moment-in-time look at Star Wars while it was still growing. Although, if you want a copy, you're going to have to pay to get it. The cheapest copies used on Amazon start at about $17 shipped for acceptable quality and $20 and up for good quality. And there are even copies for over $65 shipped for like new, and one crazy person even has one priced at 1000 I picked up one copy on Amazon and then found another in better condition as part of a lot of books on eBay. One I read, the better one is for the collection. For all the insight this book contains, I think that $17 would be well spent. As for $1,000 to add this paperback to your collection, well, that's up to you. I want to thank everyone for their Empire Strikes Back's memories, and I want to thank everyone for listening to our show. It's a lot of fun to share these kinds of things. Yeah, we're sorry we couldn't play them all. We've gone two hours now, a little over. So thank you to everyone. Whether we played you or not, we listened to you, and we enjoyed them ourselves. And, you know, Marjorie, there's one more thing that perhaps in my childhood epitomized my Empire Strikes Back experience more than anything. What is that? It was the record album, The Story of Star Wars. Oh, yes. Which I recently purchased on vinyl at a record store and I wanted to go out by playing you all just a section from that record, which is how I, as a child, relived Empire again and again to the point where, to this day, I quote the dialogue as it was edited for that record rather than as it actually is in the movie. And if the line wasn't on the record, I don't know it. You're silly. 
Stormtroopers herd the helpless rebel band to a laboratory in another part of the compound. There, the Dark Lord prepares for the arrival of Luke Skywalker. This facility is crude, but it should be adequate to freeze Skywalker for his journey to the Emperor. Lord Vader, ship approaching X-Wing class. Good. Monitor Skywalker and allow him to land. Lord Vader, we only use this facility for carbon freezing. You put him in there, it might kill him. I do not want the Emperor's prize damaged. We will test it on Captain Solo. Put him in. Desperately to save his friend. Listen to me. Chewie. There'll be another time. The princess. You have to take care of her. You hear me? Huh? I love you. I know. Resigned to his fate, Han steps onto a platform suspended above the freezing chamber. Turn round, Chewbacca! I can't see. Grotesque hugs bind him, then scuttle into position. Han is lowered into the freezing chamber. Well, Calrissian, did he survive? Yes, he's alive. And in perfect hibernation. He's all yours, bounty hunter. Reset the chamber for Skywalker. Skywalker has just landed, Lord. Good. See to it that he finds his way in here. Calrissian, take the princess and the Wookiee to my ship. You said they'd be left in the city under my supervision. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at swactionnews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. 
For more Star Wars collecting, please visit yakface.com, hanshideout.blogspot.com, and jedi-temple-archives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is web programmers Jason and Joe, associate produced by Brock, reporters Jerry and Steve, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Berent. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2010, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated. I know, and the other's figuring to Anne. Do you have to say it like that? De Anne. De Anne? Okay. Lieutenant De Anne? Isn't it just Dan? It's D apostrophe A N. How would yeah, you say? Yeah, but the it? apostrophe might just be there for decoration. Figuring Dan? I think it's figuring De Anne. Okay. Deanne? Figuring Deanne? Deanne Warwick? I guess if I really wanted to know, I could go to Wikipedia, couldn't I? No, I don't think they do pronunciations. Uh-oh.